after reading that little line, I will be arrested for not taking a fucking vaccine. This is not a fucking joke anymore. This is fucking dead serious. I am fucking dead serious. These people don't know who the fuck they're actually playing with. They are, in a group they might come and fucking intimidate me and whatnot. But fuck, they do not understand what the fuck just one person like myself is capable of. They do not fucking understand. No fucking vaccine or MRA will ever flow through my fucking blood blood. Never! I will fucking die fucking fighting for my fathers and my fucking lineage. Fuck these motherfuckers. Let's get it on. Let's get it on. I've done a reboot, reboots of everything because, as usual, <laughs> tech, tech is always it's a monkey on my back that so I just can't, I can't, I kind of shake monkey shoulder. And uh, what are we going to be doing today? We'll be. Uh, it, it's just a catch up stream. I've obviously been away for well a week now, and. Yes, I've just uh, I've just climbed back on to the uh, throne of grift uh, to make sure that we can uh, keep everyone honest as we look through the turn of events, I guess. And we'll be doing some look at Ukraine, obviously, because that had a moment whilst I was uh, away. I always had a few, actually. And uh, then we're going to... I thought we'd do a watch party because there was a roundtable which I haven't seen. Uh, I, st I started to to watch it, but I just didn't with last week's schedule have a chance to watch it. And it's the roundtable. Kevin McKernan is speaking, so I want to hear what he has to say about his data and uh, who else is on it? Jay is on it. Um... Senef um, is on it, 
um, talking about prion. So I think that's worth looking at. Oh, and of course, uh, <laughs> Bolus Girardo. Um, so we'll, we'll breeze through that at a clip. So you have to bear with me. Uh, let's see. The Japanese authorities have decided to allocate $470 million to Ukraine in the form of gratuitous aid. This was announced by Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida following his visit to Kiev. Ah, fucking Japan. <laughs> Retards. Stay out of it. Stay out of it. It, it will be uh, for the better in the, uh, in the long run. So... Uh, what should we should we dive? Well, what's what's been happening? Why has the doc been away? So I was meeting with Karma Doc um, last week. Uh, she came to visit Japan with her daughter, which was um, it was it was fun. We got we hung around Mount Fuji, got some good weather there, so we were able to see the uh, the natural splendor of uh, Japan in that respect and. Yeah, it was uh, it was a good time. I don't want to share too much uh, of uh, what I do in my in my downtime, but uh, yeah, it was good. Um, got to see Rimo, and um, what else has been happening? Oh yeah, I did the Twitter Spaces yesterday. <laughs> and you know, it wasn't bad till the the venom and the cyanide uh, bros turned up and then it just spiraled and then i don't know there was some guy just talking about being in cia and whatnot <laughs> i just i switched off dropped out i had other things to do it was a holiday in japan yesterday um kids were home so uh let's see andy Rock says excellent to have the docs meet yeah it's, i mean it's not the first time i've met um karma docs but um yeah always got time always got time for our karma big heart for uh karma doc um is there anything else i want to just cover in this section no not really i mean you know what's um, there's just my frustration at having to i don't know I guess you know it's it's why I'm supposed to be here is to help people um, navigate navigate the science. But it it was it's quite funny watching people who have picked up a couple of books or watched a couple of YouTube videos um, spurg out about a particular facet of biology, and that that is writ large over the cyanide bros um who don't know what a nitrile functional group is maybe i'll maybe i'll touch on that i do i do have some tabs open if people are interested in in looking at that but i don't know uh, <laughs> i've only got so much bandwidth uh, all right so let us uh, yeah we'll we'll move on um stream deck has done an update I've checked all this, but okay. Um, shout out to Good Doggy for the uh, meme. Uh, raccoon in group preference. That's what will keep you self safe from the corporate corporate overlords that uh, want want their uh, pound of flesh from you. 
whether it's uh, literal by uh, dragging you into a Zog Forever War or the metaphorical pound of flesh as they get their hooks into you with their usury systems and you can uh, you can find ways and solutions around these traps, these life uh, obstacles, I guess, for want of a better expression. And um, I try, I try my best to um, take a say a scathing look at the at the agitprop. Uh, I need to get the suspension thing for this mic. If I if I knock it with my cup, that's <laughs> that's what that sound is. All right, so let's uh, move on. If you've wandered in here and uh, wondering who who I am and why why would you be listening to me about uh, SARS, etc., and uh, having me opine about <laughs> global events, I guess uh, that's me, Doctor Kevin Ken, real real scientist with metrics and all that, and I find myself now having to. Um, <laughs> Well, you can save anything like yesterday is to go by uh, is to navigate people around um, yeah, the science, the science of the day, I guess. So, um, yeah, that's me. And of course, housekeeping um, this this operation, this ability to able to have my time to do the science, to look at uh, all this data um, requires a. Uh, dug out a trench in the information warfare battlefield and McCann Dojo is our forward operating base. Please, please bookmark there. You can watch the stream live. And of course, most importantly for the doc, RD Grifflinks, uh, you can become a Patreon should you so wish. Uh, doc loves it if you hit the WTYL.live forward slash tip jar or go to Fauci.monster. Uh, that will take you to the uh, payment stream. Fags PayPal, of course. Buy me a coffee if you wish to have uh, Judy Bakshi uh, come on as a sound drop. And, of course, uh, I've made it super easy for you down in that bottom right-hand corner. You can use use the tools of the oppressors against them. Uh, that will, that uh, QR code will take you to where you can you can give support to the good doc and uh his as honest as honest as uh i can give takes on the state the current state and of course um you can join the discord from that page and uh register to be notified if you would like an email rumble alerts don't don't seem to do anything so um i i recommend that or keep an eye out in the discord i'll let people know when i go live then and where do I uh, sink all the uh, all the resources, all the all the dollar runes I get? Well, I put most of it back into uh, our own streaming video on demand um, server architecture. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> say growing project, um, but I think one that will be. Uh, It'll really come to fruition, especially as the, I don't know, is the is the banking collapse still running? I know Credit Suisse <laughs> took a dive, and Deutsche Bank I think is next up on the chopping block. So um, <laughs> let's see these uh, rumbles and uh, other other streaming platforms might 
might get a walloping. So that's why that's why I think in these should we say interesting times, um, it's important that we have backup. We we have backup. So uh, let's see. Um, Kukino saying, yeah, I know about the Marburg and Ebola, etc. Um, I'm I'm generally not that concerned about it. To tell the truth. Um, the unless something radically changes to its <laughs> transmission properties, I think it's I think it's a self-containing outbreak. So you know, I think what's more or should be on the radar more is the bird flu and them, you know, wanting it, <laughs> wishing it, wishing it to jump to uh, humans, of course. Uh, GDL Science says, Israelis took out one billion out of SV Bank, Dawson said before it collapsed. Yes, uh, I did hear about that. They did. Uh, also, 500 Israeli startups were on the chopping block as well. But as far as I can tell now that um, they've guaranteed the assets, right? So, I guess that bank's that bank's a okay. And of course, it's uh, that's the rich. That's enough for you, hoi polloi, peons. That's where uh, Prince Harry keeps his money, and uh, we can't have Prince Harry in the poorhouse. No, no, no. You you can be sure your tax dollars go or go go there to maintain his sumptuous lifestyle, where he works as a. Uh, what is he doing? Is that he's working on this information disorder thesis and is part of these um, think tanks, etc. And yeah, he's. Well, I'd like to see him in the poorhouse. Put it that way. All right, so uh, that's uh, housekeeping done. Let's get on to the. Uh, <laughs> the escalation and uh, Gal. So sad not to be here for. Uh, <laughs> This, this would have been fun, but uh, of course, the Russians um, taking out a drone, I guess, but uh, doing it with uh, aggressive flybys and uh, dropping their uh, <laughs> fuel onto the drone. <laughs> now, look, man, I don't know where you. <laughs> But I find that pretty funny. What I what I did find funny as well is how they tried to uh, ratchet up the tension as uh, <laughs> they're flying, their flying death machine robot got uh, taken out in a, you know, what's a. Well, you could argue you could argue that Maggie Thatcher uh, set the trend with uh, exclusion zones around uh, territories where they're uh, maintaining operations, and so um, <laughs> Ruskies, Ruskies have got every right uh, within their area of operations to be taking a very sideward glance at things like these drones coming in with their uh, high-res uh, side view looking radars and uh, antennas etc all designed to feed information back to the Ukrainian forces to help them in their proxy war against the Ruskies now I'm uh, I feel nary nary a twinge at the thought of a death machine robot getting taken out the sky um i wish we could get the uh, gun cam footage 
from the planes. I bet that looks badass, them bombing that plane again and again and again. <laughs> so, I don't know. Do we give a salute, salute to the fallen death robot? I don't know. But anyway, I thought that was... Uh, that was an interesting end to last week, and it sort of comes on the uh, <laughs> the tales of oi, shut it. The them basically using the International Criminal Court to say that they're going to charge uh, Putin with war crimes. Uh, specifically, I want to say it's related. The charges are related to children, and them removing children from the battlefield areas. Now, look, do, do, any any time the state takes steps in and uh, gets a hold of children, that's just another cycle of abuse that gets uh, drilled into young minds, and no doubt we'll have the fallout of that over years to generations, etc. But um, in response... <laughs> In response to uh, the laying down of uh, well, threats, I would say to take Putin to the to the Hague, Medvedev. Oh, he's so strong. Medvedev um, threatens to blow up the Hague. Medvedev threatens to strike court in The Hague with Onyx hypersonic missile. Dmitry Medvedev, deputy chairman of the Security Council of the Russian Federation, has threatened to launch a missile strike against the International Criminal Court in The Hague, which had earlier issued an arrest warrant for Russian President Vladimir Putin in connection with the deportation of Ukrainian children to Russia. About it, Medvedev wrote on Telegram. Uh, yeah, I was, Centripede, I was going to bring up the story about depleted uranium shells. It, it's come up before, and so, look, th the question is, are, are the Russians using depleted uranium sabots? And I would have to presume that they are. So it's uh, them sort of claiming about the toxic waste, etc., from the burning of the depleted uranium um, I don't know. Uh, it's it seems a uh, silly ground to um, come down either side. I mean, in my opinion, there should be no tank shells being fired, etc., and no no artillery shelling of civilians. Um, but you know, <laughs> common sense common sense has gone out the window. So uh, I'm not sure what I can uh, I, I can tell you in that respect. Um, I doubt Russia is using depleted uranium. Um, I don't know, man. I don't know. Like, tanks. You're going tank against tank. I, got, I, gotta, I gotta think that they're probably using depleted uranium. Say bots. Let's see. I'll have a look. Russian... Rounds. Uh, all I get is uh, the stories around the, the latest 
escalation. I don't know. Like I say, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure it goes in the escalation bin right now. Uh, good doggy says, of course. Uh, this is a war zone. This is not a picnic site. Tank battle, air bombard, rockets, missiles. Everything has been hitting here. Uh, can tungsten be used? Yeah, you could, but is tungsten pyrophoric, like depleted uranium? I'm sure. I'm sure they do do tungsten sabots. Tungsten sabot. Yes. Armor piercing, discarding sabots. Um. Tungsten heavy alloy and depleted uranium. I like, like I say, I'm. I would be. I would. I would just be very, very surprised if the Russians haven't used them already. Anyway, that's that's just me. Let's get back to uh, Medvedev threatening the. Uh... <laughs> hey. Gentlemen, everyone walks under guard and missiles. It is quite possible to imagine the targeted use of hypersonic onyx from the North Sea by a Russian ship at the Hague Court building. Unfortunately, it cannot be shot down, and the court is just a poor international organization, not the population of a NATO country. That's why they won't start a war. They are afraid, and no one will feel sorry for them. So, judges of the court, look carefully at the sky. <laughs> That would be so badass. <laughs> Boom. Medvedev wrote, the deputy chairman of the Russian Security Council wrote a post that was, as usual, long and full of insulting epithets. He called <laughs> the issuance of the arrest warrant for Putin the final collapse of the international law system. Medvedev went on to write several paragraphs of insults to the ICC, which, according <laughs> to the Russian official, no one needs. Shit posting, man. It's the new game in town. <laughs> <sighs> and whose effectiveness is allegedly zero. According to Putin's subordinate, a country and its leaders can be judged in two ways. When the country itself has become savagely weakened, almost lost its sovereignty and decided to recognize the judgment of the court. And when the country has lost the war and surrendered. Medvedev believes that after the arrest warrant for Putin, the consequences for the international law will be terrible. As this decision allegedly leads to the collapse of the foundations, the principles of law. Why don't you ask the United States about the uh, Hague Court? How much, how much they recognise it with respect to uh, being yanked up for potential war crimes? Uh, let's see. Did you see the ICC prosecutor for this case? His brother is an ex-politician pedo. Yeah, isn't that um, Khan is his name in the UK? Yeah, um, more more Hamilton Aki uh, <laughs> pedo rapists in the UK. Imagine, imagine my shock. <laughs> imagine my shock that those little uh, little state state foot soldiers would uh, go ahead and uh, be be used in such fashion i'm uh i'm, I'm lost for words 
Uh, let's see. Free Z and boob. Good to see you, bro. All right. So, yeah, Rusk is uh, threatening uh, the Hague. Uh, always brings a uh, smile. Now, this was interesting. Xi Jinping, upon his arrival in Moscow, uttered the most seditious words from the point of view of the West. China is ready to stand together with Russia to guard the world-based order on international law, not on the rules invented by someone, but on the law. Vladimir Kornilov. Um... Now, look, do I, do I think the Chinese are uh, paragons of virtue when it comes to recognizing international law? No, I don't. The problem is that our side has just become so brazen in just uh, how it picks and chooses which laws it wishes to abide by and um, will engage in, how should we say, frivolous, frivolous legislation making as they uh, engage in um, economic warfare against the Ruskies with uh, their sanctions, uh, debanking, etc., which uh, so far doesn't seem to have worked. And uh, we have uh, runs. Runs on Western banks. How hilarious. <laughs> Let them burn. That's what I say. Uh, Medvedev is the best. As he left the G meeting, he was asked about the West being mad and laughed and said, good. What, Chad? <laughs> That's what we need. Forget this uh, diversity, uh, meritocratic hiring systems that we've got in the West where we've filled our positions with uh, lick spittles and uh, diversity mongers. Russia, going with the uh, trad authoritarianism. And uh, if I've got to live under some authoritarianism, let it be trad, is what the doc says. This multipolar world is happening. Yeah, man, look, don't bother me. It don't let him get on with it, and you know if it uh, if it shuts down on the uh, cover color revolutions, uh, I'm I'm all for it. The if the Washington bio defense military industrial mafia etc gets a bloody nose in the process, wonderful as far as the doc is concerned. Uh, let's see. Um, ba -ba 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 -ba. did that, that, um, what am I looking at that? America's banks are missing hundreds of billions of dollars. Yeah, they've all gone pretty crane. Being rinsed, rinsed through that country and filling the back pockets of the parasite class that runs you. How many times do you have to sit there and act all surprised when, when, these, when these headlines come through? It's the same MO, the same game they've been playing for fucking decades. And, you know, I'm giving you the answer to it. Don't, don't get involved in their corporate world. And, you know, you really, really have to think hard about what that means. Right? Do you really need to have a credit card? Do you have to have to be leveraged so hard with the bank 
Can you not downsize? Can you not get into a position where should they mess with the money supply, which they seem to be doing at the moment, that you're insulated from it somewhat as you're not beholden to the intermediary parasites that are there feeding off you with respect to contracts and debts that you've signed yourself up for. That's that's the way to get through this, folks. And, you know, we'll see if they uh, if they come down with you'll own nothing and be happy. I think that might be a bridge too far for them. Um, you know, I think land is still a, um, if you have the money, a, a good good way to look after your money, I guess. If, that's what I would do if I had spare cash. Um, I don't know about, yeah, maybe, maybe land. Um, houses might just be buying overinflated and um, lose money, money in the process. So look, I'm, I'm not, I'm not here to give financial advice. I'm here to laugh at the, uh, <laughs> the imploding systems as uh, people have uh, sunk their lives into usury driven um, endeavors, I guess, for want of a better expression. And now you're gonna be you're gonna be on the hook to uh a beady eyed slunched over shoulder who has a tendency to rub their hands a lot when they when they talk about money and how they can um cash in on the debts that are owed to them you all know what i mean uh let's see i want this shit to crash so I can afford a house that's not inflated by 200k. Yeah, look, um, um, I'm all for that sort of correction taking place. Uh, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Japan has, has it downright, okay? House doesn't gain in value. It's a car, and if, or think of it like a car, and you can get um, onto the housing ladder, I guess, for the price of, that's what I did. That's what I did, and look, it's it's falling apart. But you know what? I own the fucker, and woe betide, woe betide the individual that thinks he's going to uh, step on my property, telling me what I can and cannot do. All right, um, let's see. Let's move on. So we did uh, G in, and this is a big move. Obviously, the um, the lack of strategic foresight on NATO West behalf to get into this war, this proxy war that pushes Russia closer to China. <laughs> we've literally we've literally watched them in the last week or so have conniptions about or the Americans have conniptions about the Chinese might be selling weapons to the Russians. After they've literally <laughs> robbed the country blind to rinse those monies and weapon systems through the Ukraine. And the fact, that, the fact that people just sit there glibly and take it just, just blows my mind. Or, or are sitting there watching, uh, what's his fucking name on Fox News? Hannity. Hannity, who was there banging the war drums because their fucking death machine robot got buzzed in the sky by some... Mix. <laughs> they must think you've got cunt tattooed on your forehead, Lickspills. 
Jesus. All right, where was I? Let's move on. I want to get to this watch party. Let's uh, let's see. Oh yes. Oh, maybe I'll save that for another because um, it, it's quite long. I don't want to read this all this, but um, more uh, <laughs> more excuse finding and uh, vacillation as uh, the State Department is trying to get out of the fact that they were engaged in biowarfare research across numerous labs across the planet and uh, have literally been caught with their pants down in Ukraine. Um, I'll save this for another stream. Let us move on. Um, now, in terms of escalations, uh, the Poles, the Poles are banging the drums as well. Donc, soit aujourd'hui, l'Ukraine va défendre sa indépendance. Sinon, en tout état de cause, nous serons obligés de rentrer dans ce conflit parce que nos valeurs principaux qui étaient... Hang on, let me, let me, it's, it's in French. So either Ukraine will defend its independence today or we will be forced to enter into this conflict because our main values... So this is the Polish ambassador to France. Donc, soit aujourd'hui, l'Ukraine va défendre sa indépendance Sinon, en tout état de cause, nous serons obligés de rentrer dans ce conflit parce que nos valeurs principaux qui, 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 qui étaient fond... Uh, which were the basis of our civilization, our culture will be in danger. Therefore, we have no choice today. Qui était le fondement de notre civilisation, de notre culture, de notre... Euh, seront en, en, en danger fondamental. Donc, donc on n'a pas de choix aujourd'hui. Donc... I tell you what, Polskis. If you want to go in there, step in and do your own fighting, so be it. But um, I would say, I would say you advancing into Ukraine proper. Well, Russia has every right to uh, strike those forces coming into an area of operations. Now, maybe, maybe Russia's thinking that um, Poland taking a uh, chunk Galicia out of. Uh, Ukraine and returning it back to Poland. Maybe that's a status quo that they're that they're happy with. But <laughs> in no way should they be triggering Article Five. Should well, look, Poland's already in there. We know that there are thousands that have already been um, chewed up and um, put in the ground or sent back to Poland, etc. And um, I would just keep a mental note that this is the direction in which they're going and you know the use of a reaper death machine robot as a um hook to get you or get people dragged in to the next level of escalation is well what can you say <laughs> again it's, it's all that. It's, maybe you not. You don't have it, but there's a whole bunch of people that do have cunt tattooed on their forehead. Um, all right. So yeah, Poland, Poland wanting to uh, step up the ante. Uh, Shut it. And what did I have here? Nature paper. Oh yeah, of course, of course. So in the last week, as as I was away, the uh, we've had. Ooh, the uh, lab origin space is uh, is developing some uh, some heat, I guess, friction, and um, we had we had again 
science by press release of essentially nothing. Nothing that we didn't know, but again, the same discredited cabal with conflicts of interest that are coming out of their arse and out of their mouths as they gag on them are, are trying trying to sell you the same BS so you don't go looking at their research programs into biowarfare agents. It's that simple, folks. And anyone, anyone who's not talking about goddamn biowarfare programs and the industry that's grown up around them and the impact that it's had on you because they've been weaponized and they're turning it against you and your loved ones. And they're trying to gaslight you with this BS... <laughs> Argument from authority, basically. Ow! We might have got it wrong the last three years, but trust us this time. Not only, not only have they um, done this science through press release, but they've got some stupid young, I don't know, PhD or postdoc, Flo Debier, whatever her name is on Twitter, who was uh, supposedly found this data. This whole story just gets more stinky as uh, each day goes by so these uh, these sequences that they found which would uh, confirm and it, all it does all it does is confirm raccoon dog dna in the market doesn't find the animal with sars like infection um it's completely conflating the data to get the news headlines. And again, all they're doing is loading the search engines so that when people look back in a year, the trusted news initiative will feed them this drivel. Uh, let's see. They didn't find shit and got locked out of the database. I don't think they got locked out of the database per se. Um, but, you know, uh, guy on Twitter right now stating that it was a previous vector. Um, we figured it out, Kev. You were gone. It's a coded message to the bunker. <laughs> Look. I hope those fucks dream. Dream of uh, Joker Raccoon. <laughs> Each and every night, right? As as they know that we just keep blowing through their narratives, right? So nature obviously uh, puts in a link. So uh, raccoon dogs, bamboo rats, palm civets. These are just some of the animals whose DNA has been found in swabs taken from Hunan Seafood Wholesale Market in Wuhan, China, which has been linked to the origin of the COVID-19 pandemic. The swabs also tested positive for SARS-CoV-2, which causes the disease. The analysis posted on 20th of March to the research repository Zenodo provides evidence supporting the hypothesis that SARS-CoV-2 spilled from animals to humans at the market, say some researchers. Of course, this is not direct evidence. It is not direct evidence it's that simple and in the Bayesian analysis that you have to do of all the different variables considering the conflicts of interest that we know are inherent how desperate they are to have the eyes of the world 
stop looking at their seedy little scientific discipline that's jacked into the defense biomedical industry framework. On 16th of March, The Atlantic, oh yeah, The Atlantic, that's where I go for all my breaking scientific news. <laughs> Zenodo posting, which has not been peer-reviewed, it's not been peer-reviewed either, is the first time that the full work has been released publicly, which could pave the way for follow-up studies, such as an investigation of where the animals in the market came from. The swabs were collected in early 2020 after the market was shut down and cleared of animal products. The researchers were specifically interested in looking for evidence of mammals which could have been intermediate hosts of the virus. They identified near complete mitochondrial DNA sequences, some 16,000 base pairs long, for five species of wildlife, including raccoon dog, Malayan porcupine, Amor hedgehog, Mars pim civet, and hoary bamboo rat. It's remarkable to have a list, says study co-author Alex Kritz Christoph, who is a computational biologist at a non-profit organization and is based in Baltimore, Maryland. Well, so the Zunati are not even getting accredited academics to be writing up their papers anymore. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> uh, let's see that. Tau Braun guy is a grifter. Um, I don't know. Is, is he the one that's hanging around with Ardis at the moment? Um, yeah, I would. I'm. I'm just. Uh... Well, like I say, the when you're not reporting accurately on, or you're sensationalizing venom at the cost of talking about epitope coverage etc and how much um well there's a <laughs> this gets down to your definitions in science and this is something that i was speaking about yesterday that you have to be deadly accurate in your descriptions of what it is that you're trying to define or you will get swept away by information gatekeepers and all the time that you're going around talking about it being cobra venom rather than being having homologies to these epitopes and talking about receptor binding and cholinergic activity for example you are, you are you're engaging in a form of um technical Gish galloping over people, people, people who uh, are struggling to understand um, all this scientific jargon, which is being foisted upon you. Now, look, you have to, you have to come to terms and learn this stuff. Okay, it's important. Ignorance of the science is like ignorance of the law. No excuse. Okay. Now, of course, you can always. There is a whole network of individuals out there who would help answer these questions but these people are feeding feeding off the stupid's grift uh, 
I called him out multiple times in replies. He never answers. He's a retard, not even a doctor, if I recall. Um, he might be PhD. I don't know. But again, I'm just very leery of people who want to make it just one thing. Why not talk about rabies? You have homology over the same epitopes there. There are other epitopes in the spike protein which are active for cholinergic um, receptors. There's much to talk about. But like I say, I, I, I don't have any... I've got minimal scientific time for you if you're deliberately engaging in this type of um, misattribution of properties, etc. Uh, let's see. Um, he brought up the raccoon dog being a carrier previous. Brown? Did he? I don't know. I don't know. Um, <laughs> look. There's no index animal in which to definitively show SARS infection. None. None. All you've got is genetic contamination in a busy market where people had SARS. That's it. And these people pushing it as a... <laughs> the scientific fig leaf. Oh, God, you're exposing us and our, and our funding sources. Oh, God, please. What do you think of our pensions? Oi, wait. Uh, let's see. Particularly notable was the raccoon dog mitochondrial DNA found in six samples from two souls. Research has shown that raccoon dogs, small fox-like animals, are susceptible to SARS-CoV-2 and can spread infection to other raccoon dogs without showing clear signs of sickness. Now, um, where's the reference for this? <laughs> raccoon dog SARS-CoV infection. Now... I don't think there is a paper that's showing that. Just uh, lots of, let's see, susceptibility of raccoon dogs for experimental SARS-CoV-2. Oh, shit. Open damage. Coon dogs might be in duh, 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 duh. Study, we intranasally inoculated nine naive raccoon dogs, but they didn't get sick. So it's it's more of this quantitative PCR. Um, in the autopsies, we did not find gross lesions definitively caused by SARS-CoV-2 infection. We used hematoxylin and eosin staining on tissues taken at autopsy. Um, <laughs> after squirting SARS-CoV-2 up their nose, they literally had a runny nose. <laughs> Uh, let's see, no antigen, interesting, 
So I, I would kind of, I mean, I'm just whipping through this paper. Maybe I'm reading it wrong, but. Um, No serologic response recorded for days zero and four. Animals numbers four, eight, and nine did not show signs of infection. Each day, two raccoon dogs were euthanized on autopsies. Oh, we salute our fallen comrades. <laughs> um, yeah, like I say, it's it seems very uh, sketchy and clutching. At straws uh, to me, so we will move on with that. Where was I? Raccoon dogs and masked palm civets have also been found with infections of viruses that are almost identical to the one that causes severe acute respiratory syndrome related to SARS-CoV-2 and caused an outbreak in people in 2003. And working palm civet cells indicates that the creatures could possibly become infected with SARS-CoV-2. There's a lot of possibilities and maybes in there. And again, their desperation to pin onto a innocent raccoon whilst they've gorged themselves on billions of dollars engaging in this research. Uh... China already said it was a super spreader event more than three years ago. Yeah, and that's that's what I'm inclined to believe. And the, the AB lineages, etc., are all indicators that there was uh, the infection was circulating earlier than um, than the official story will admit to. Uh, let's see. The new study does not confirm whether the animal themselves were infected with the virus, but establishing that animals were present at the market supports the hypothesis the pandemic had an animal origin, say some researchers. Say which researchers? Fat Angie. Really? <laughs> really? That's who we're going to listen to? Fat Peter. We're going to listen to those fucks? Really? <laughs> really? <laughs> Unbelievable. I, 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 like I say, the fact the fact that we're three years in, and you know, as I was uh, on my jollies last week, Commander uh, Rixy let me know that that paper was released or the preprint was released on the exact same day as the Proximal Origins paper. <laughs> All right, uh, let's see. Uh, the information could be used to track animals. Others are more cautious about drawing conclusions on the origins of the pandemic from the analysis. What, you mean you mean there are there, there are actual scientists out there that are realizing that there's this little fucking nexus that's fucking poison? Oh, what a fabulous day! The work confirms which animal species were at the market, but because it includes only samples that are tested positive, there is no data in this work associating SARS-CoV-2 with the presence of any of these animals, says Justin Kinney, a quantitative biologist at Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory, New York. These data do not provide a definitive answer to the question of how the pandemic began, said Tedros Adhanam Ghebreyesus, director of WHO. But every piece of data is important in moving us closer to that answer. Maybe. Maybe. But what I would like to do is to uh, go through this thread. Uh, 
Steve Massey, um, I highly recommend following his account. He does uh, very, very good, insightful uh, posts. Not the uh, <laughs> not the torrent of shit posting that you get here from me. Um, so he goes on. So Flo de Bear, a Tales Raccoon Dog analysis that has caused such a media fem- frenzy, has now been released. And what does it show? Not much. A nothing. A burger. Uh, essentially, it confirms Gautel's preprint analysis that there was nucleic acid from animals in addition to humans in samples. No surprise there. It adds some species-specific info. The analysis is crude and taxonomic attribution method naive. They rely on sequence assembly, which miss a lot of info. They use numbers of assembled contexts as a metric for quantity of species-specific material. This is a semi-quantitative at best due to the vagaries of assembly. Again, it would depend on um, what you got the sample from. I mean, if you... I don't know... (laughs) The corner of the cage where the raccoon dog takes a shit, I guess. You'd get a whole bunch more DNA. Let's see. They apparently identify a potentially new subspecies of raccoon dog. This would be worth following up for forensic purposes, but bafflingly, they failed to do so. But they also seem to identify a new subspecies of masked palm civet, hoary bamboo rat, Malayan porcupine, and a moor hedgehog. This could be interesting or more likely indicates problems with their assembly. Oddly, they fail to show this up and validate their assembly qualities. Bizarrely, they seem unable to differentiate between DNA and RNA. In trimapping reads to annotated mitogenome or nuke genome, this has importance as it can affect estimates of relative species proportions. Tellingly, none of the stools with raccoon dog nucleic acid have human SARS-2 case linked to it, which puzzlingly they fail to mention. (laughs) Oh man, sketchy fucking science, man. Um... Was it Bostickson that way back had a nice article on ferret genes and antigen response versus variants? He nailed it back then. Maybe. Maybe. Shout out to One-Eyed Monkey King, Billy Bostickson. Uh, Let's see. This saga is a case study in the perils of making grandiose claims without having completed the analysis and of the hubris to embark into a new subject area without specialists, metagenomic, to scrutinise and suggest robust analysis. Well, I guess they could always go and ask Nathan Wolfe. Am I going to read the report? Do I want to keep it? Do I want to spare the space in my hard drive? There's Christian Anderson, Eddie Holmes, Andrew Rambo, Michael Warraby, <laughs> Goldstein, of course, they're all there. Fat Angie. Fat Angie. Fuck these assholes. That's what I say. Let me uh, let me just see if uh, anyone is not to see you today. Um, ba, 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 ba. Let's see. Come on. No. Oh, no, there is. I want to say thank you to uh, You may have uh, a... <laughs> You've had enough. And uh, Kat, you can have, of course, the doc's favourite at the moment. <laughs> Uh, 
We salute that man. Bring back Chemical Alley. He was just a piker. Hey, Charles in the chat. Good to see you, bro. How you doing? Chicken nuggets? Ah, just had breakfast. Right. Let's see. Um, I don't know. What else can I say about this garbage? Um, every, every one of these assholes need to be uh, going down to the Dole office uh, soon as... Uh, let's see. Right. Um, just a piker. Yes. He was just a piker compared to what we're dealing with today. All right. What else did I have? Um, oh, yes. Uh, so this was interesting. Japan. え、日本死亡者数がですね、え、ま、ずっと増加を続けていると、こちらのパネルをご覧ください。これ見ていただくとですね、分かる通り、こう死亡数の増加。これ一目瞭然ですよね。え、で、昨年2022年にお亡くな
あの先週ワクチン接種後に死亡した遺族団体の皆さんが記者会見をされましたもうご主人を亡くした須田睦子さんはその会見で今どれだけの被害報告が上がっているのかどんな症例が上がっていてこのワクチンによってどれだけの死亡報告があるのかという危険性の部分を公平な目線で国民に伝えていただきたいとおっしゃっていました極めてごもっともなあのことだというふうに思いますまあ、先ほど申し上げた通りですね、2000件以上の死亡事例が報告をされているということは、これ、極めて異常な事態だと考えます。これ、同様の制度で、インフルエンザワクチンについても報告を集めていますが、まあ、令和3年度の Uh, let's see. Please play this video from UK Parliament, a contrast.、Um, Nurse Campbell. <laughs> look, man. Nurse Campbell's got blood on his hands. And look, as much as, much as I would like for him to、uh, keep firing in the right direction,、um, I've got standards, damn it! I'll maybe play it. We'll see. 死亡事例の報告数は7件というふうになっております。それでいろいろと割り返すとですね、コロナワクチンの接種数における死亡事例数の報告割合。ラあ、インフルエンザワクチン。サボギャサロ。はい。You had enough?Thank、uh, you, thank you, thank you, whoever that was.、Uh, much, much appreciated with、um, the GD Bakshi announcement.、Uh, let me just see who I can say thank you to. Come on, load you.、Uh, white log cook food with those Mexican pesos. Thank you, sir. Thank you indeed. All right.、Um, now, what did I have next?、Uh, oh, yeah. Just. These aren't really Shahids, but.、Um, <laughs> any chance of uh, people uh, <laughs> keeling over on camera? Uh, we, should, uh, we should take a look and have a laugh.、Um, where's the. There was a movie. Wasn't there a video of that? Oh, well. Never mind. I thought there was a video. No. All right. All right. One newscaster collapsing.、Uh, rapper collapsing. You know what? <laughs> Fuck that noise. We'll listen to it without the,、uh, <laughs> without the music. Uh, he fell over once, he gets back up, and he's gone. Boom. <laughs> uh, the legs kicking is a nice touch, I guess. Is, is he dead?、Uh, yeah, he did drop dead. <laughs> If we salute that Shahid and his commitment to the cause. There you go, just more 30 year olds just,、uh, just keeling over all that lard they've been eating. a l right. <laughs> What did I have next? Oh, yeah, so、uh, this was a sort of follow on to Japan. So I want to I wanna take a quick look、um, at numbers. So we'll get the. Because I'm interested in Japanese data, because I think it's some of the cleanest. And the,、uh, the VAX rate is one of the highest in the world. And Japan has just come off the back of its eighth and worst wave. And that 
is concerning, particularly when you couple it with the um, the disturbing birth data that's come out recently. And um, it seems, well, let's have a look. Uh, so Australia, India, United Kingdom, Russia, Taiwan, Mexico, Japan, South Korea, Austria, and Poland all show increasing um infection rates let's let's have a look at those numbers real quick and japan i'm sort of quite familiar with so we'll take a look there <laughs> the excess mortality look oof Oof. All right. Uh, let's see. Come on, come on, come on. All right. So let's see. New cases. So they're down right now, according to our world in data. Um. There does seem to be a slight uptick on the let's let's see what it's saying for Japan here. So in the last thirty six hours, the WHO had once again opened their mouths prematurely and said, "Well, got some uh, fine Thailand medical editorialising," and said that the threat from COVID nineteen would likely be reduced and on par with that of flu, and that the agency would likely be able to declare an end to the health emergency sometime in twenty twenty three. Interestingly, in the same thirty six hours, numerous reports and COVID nineteen news coverages are emerging that SARS CoV two infections and deaths are starting to rise in a number of countries, including Australia, India, the United Kingdom, Taiwan. Yeah, we did that. In Australia, there have been 22,289 new SARS-CoV-2 infections in the last seven days, with 1,125 individuals hospitalized and 24 in ICU due to COVID-19 and 107 COVID-19 deaths in the last 24 hours alone. It should be noted that there is very little testing in the country and in many states, true caseloads and deaths are being underreported. Australian media already warning COVID-19. Yeah, yeah, yeah. India, um... Anything about Japan, uh, United Kingdom, various countries, including Taiwan, South Korea, Russia, Poland, Austria, Mexico. Yeah. I don't see any links to Japan, 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 Japan. Media reports have also emerged in the last 24 hours about Israel discovering a possible new recombinant SARS-CoV-2 variant. Nice. Um, where's where's their links to Japan, Canada, United Kingdom? Kingdom, Goa, India. I don't see any link to Japan. Hmm. Um. I would, so just looking from this data, I don't know. Um, I don't see any increase. That's current as of March 15th. So unless there's been an upturn in the last week. Uh, so let's see. So le let's let's move on. But if, if there is changes, I'm inclined to lean in towards Japanese data than other countries at the moment. All right. So moving on. 
I'll save this one for uh, another another day because we've got a long watch party and do we want to watch Ed Dowd? Dr. Redfield, I think a lot of people... 15 minutes, too long, too long. We, co we covered Redfield and what he's doing and saying seems to be useful at the moment. Um, again, be... Just be very jaundiced about any any and all data at the moment. All right, so this is this is what I wanted to get to. So this round sure. table. Um, and uh... so let's. I, I want to watch this because I want to catch up. Uh, I've missed a lot, so I'm going to sit here, give commentary to what I think uh, is um, useful, new data, um, stuff that's barking up the wrong tree, etc. Sure. Um... And uh, it, whenever you do that, they've been doing it for decades too, probably longer. And whenever you do that, you're you're putting everything at risk, not just humans. So it's like uh, just just yeah. so you know, I just want you to know we're now being live streamed on. I know I saw the message, so I'm not going to f bomb anyone anymore. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> just yeah. so you know, I just want you to know we're now Wait, being live streamed. Stop that. On, Okay, I, I had to uh, pause. I have two monitors, and it was going on the other monitor. We have Mark Kulak here. Jessica, I don't know if you know Mark. He's a good friend of JJ's. Hi, Mark. Uh, he, he's going to help with all the audio stuff, and um, he's got Whosatomic.live, which is a fantastic podcast that he does, um, getting into a lot of the uh, um, nefarious kind of stuff that's been going on with this. Um, so he, he's also going to be part of the Twitter thing after uh, we do this. Sorry. So, I'm not presenting uh, content. Uh, so, today, or at least not. You know, it, it's already a crowd, a, a, the perfect crowd. I'm just here to uh, to manage some of the audio out the Twitter spaces. Right. I don't know if so, I want to turn on my video. I, mean, I can. I don't even need my my camera on. I can turn it off. I just. It's up no, to I you. I don't know if I need my video either. <laughs> Who's that? Uh, working. All right. How are you, Stephanie? I haven't talked to you in ages. I know. I know. I. Uh, how are you doing? I'm good. Um, I'm. Uh, I'm kind of been, you know, lazy about. Uh, <laughs> putting together anything spectacular these days but it gets uh, it gets exhausting doesn't it You've it's been very yeah and you know what it's it's in spite of me i um i just have to pay attention to what my my mind and my body are kind of dictating it's like if, if i don't have the that thing that i need to have to pump out a sub stack in like two minutes yeah. <laughs> there's nothing i can do about it that's um, interesting yeah you, you go on inspiration don't you because you've had some very very much posts. yeah Sometimes yeah. you just, I can't believe what you pulled up together in a short time and something, some news item hits and you've got a big story with lots of um, biology background and you do a great job of explaining it in accessible terms. I love that. Oh, thanks. I really appreciate that. I, I don't think I did a good job on my last one with um, with Kevin's update because it was like, there was so much hardcore stuff there that I, like, I, I remember writing that article so well and I just, I, you know, I was planning something and my mind wasn't there. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I yeah. kind of like went through it thinking, you know, I'm, I'm kind of half-assing it here with my explanations, but um. But I also thought it was kind of a good tactic to get t people to actually read Kevin's, Kevin's stuff. Kevin's stuff is so hard. I even really yeah. um, having trouble, <laughs> you know, understanding even, let yeah. alone, you know, being convinced. I mean, I think it's it's really exciting what he's finding. And I really hope somebody else will also independently find, you know, exactly. do the study find the same thing. Exactly. That's that's precisely like the, the main message I was hope, hoping to kind of like convey in each one of the summaries. It's like, this needs to be reproduced by like so many other labs because, I mean, he's, he's very, very uh, sure that there is this specific kind of uh, contamination and it's, yes. it's, 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 it's really, really, really big deal. Um, right. every single human being who got injected with this stuff and beyond. So it's like, you know, <laughs> and we don't know really, I think at least I don't know. What are we watching? Um, this was a round table. I guess it was a Twitter space. And, um, the reason I want to watch it is because Kevin McKernan 
was talking about his data, but there's a long stream with uh, a few people talking, and so I want to. I, I just want to catch up with what they're saying. Um, so this is this is what we're watching right now. Uh, the full consequences of this. I mean, having this double-stranded DNA in the in the vaccine itself ready to go. I mean, because it, we, we were so concerned about reverse transcription and whether it could happen. Yep. Well, it already happened, right? Essentially, yep. you've already got the DNA ready to go. So all you have to do is integrate it into the genome, which there yep. are certainly proteins that can do that. So, yep. uh, which I would agree with. And uh, like I say, the, if the data that Kevin has brought forward and the degree of contamination from the expression system that they've used to make the RNA has bled into the manufacturing process. And the thing to keep in mind is, is that Kevin did tests on the bivalent, bivalent vaccines. And so in, in reality, they are many, many months down the supply mechanism, I guess. And if they've got this degree of contamination, a contamination worry which was mentioned in the European emergency use authorization documents. There was supposed to be a threshold upon which the, uh, the contaminant from these plasmid um, spike expression codes <laughs> shouldn't be there. Yet Kevin's data would indicate that it is. Now, you know, I've got lots of vaccine that we could go and try and see if the, we get the same. And th I guess that could be interesting. But, you know, there's, there's money to raise to do that, my end. I suppose I could send them to Kevin. Um, maybe he'd, he'd take a look at them. That's really scary. And you wonder yeah. whether some of these people who have long-term suffering from the vaccine is due to continual production of spike protein from DNA, you know? Yep. 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 Um, but I think it also happens with infection as well. So held by certain cells. It's really, it, there's so much unknown. <laughs> exactly. And I, I sent you an email about this uh, nuclear localization thing, the NLS. And oh yes, I know. Yes. Right. Yeah. And, and you reminded me that this, you know, the, the, the fear and cleavage site is already doing that. So it's like, yes. I, I, I'm like, what? It's it, there are all these, and I think proteins that, bind to our to, to, uh, to our DNA and host it into the uh, nucleus. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so incredible. it's like we have we have all of these prerequisites for absolute disasters, and it's I like know, it's so mind boggling. I know, and it's like okay, so now we have to kind of tread carefully and 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 with our assumptions and say, okay, well, how would this manifest physiologically if this happened, for example? And it's just so crazy how many of the things that that you know we've anticipated if this was going to you know happen or if this is happening is showing up in bears, for example. It's like Man, um, it's not looking good. I mean, ugh. yeah. And I tell you, I've been figuring something out that is really frightening. If it's true, I'm going to talk about it. Uh, oh, we got something going here. Hear your questions right now. So. Hey, James here. This is interesting. Thank you, Centripede. So, um, process and product related impurities in Chadox. Hmm. Four out of four lots tested contain significantly higher than expected levels of host cell proteins and of free viral proteins. Mm. Well, I mean, this is a denovirus. I mean, it, it's fundamentally different in how they construct this one compared to the mRNA. Here. 
All right. So I'm trying to mute my phone. Yeah, that would be worth All right, my phone won't be here. Can you guys hear that through the uh, speaker? Yes. Oh, shoot. <laughs> no, like, it's ever. Hey, Dan, I can't hear you. You're very quiet. Your, um, your latest video with uh, with Paul was amazing, JJ. Um, really... wow, that's a very nice compliment. Thank you very much. Can you hear me better now or not? Yes, yes. much better. Okay, good. No, yeah, it, it was really like it nailed down two things for me. I, I don't know. It's probably my brain. Um, but I finally really understand uh, the, the the infectious clone idea, first of all. And I think it's very, very likely what happened. And and I love, I just have to tell you, I love the part where you say that, it, it, I, uh, how, how do I recreate what you said? It's like, it, it aligns so well with the fact that I don't think anybody has been wrong so far. It's just nobody had a complete picture. And this kind of suits all of these things. And like, I, I actually did um, a podcast with Sam Bailey. I got a lot of shit. <laughs> These fucking jokes. For that. When did yeah, you do that? A long time ago. A long time ago. Okay, yes, yes, yes. No, but like, you know, it, six months or something, like with just a... It's hilarious to me how Jay wants to fillet these fucking no virus cretins. <laughs> what a goof. That time when this whole virus, no virus bullshit thing, false flag was being thrown out. So she wanted to uh, talk to me and I wanted to talk to her too because she, you know, she, she sounded uh, really, really interesting in her preliminary emails. We had a fantastic talk for an hour. Um, very open-minded. Um, she, she clearly, you know, she's on the fence or, or the, the, this, she thinks that there are viruses, but that's fine. But no, she thinks there are no viruses. There's no pathogens. But the thing about it is like, I think the whole reason that whole thing got thrown out into the public is because there was a misinterpretation of the real question that was being asked. And what people really wanted to know was, is this SARS-2 thing a virus? That's the real question, not whether or not viruses exist in general. I mean, I think that that's... That just got mixed up too. No, that's a that's a complete complete distortion of the of the Bailey camp. <laughs> Sorry, get mixed up in there indeed, and I think that people get, um, yeah, they get swept away in that, and and it's it's a very much more they they I think the people that are actually misrepresenting the no virus angle, and I do believe there are people that are doing it, um, are purposefully not curious about what happened. They're just sure right. that what they say it didn't happen. And that part of it really bothers me. It drives me bananas. Um, and and it's the reason why I don't think it makes complete sense. That I think that the Baileys are probably good guys, but I'm worried about Andrew Koff. <laughs> yeah, and all those book sales <laughs> with forwards by Andrew Kaufman. <laughs> and because I'll tell you. I don't you, know anything about him. What's his I'll deal? tell you an interesting tidbit. In 2020, when he first came on the scene, he was also identified by a bunch of people on our side as somebody who was a no virus leader. In 2020, in March already, weirdos were streaming about how Andrew Kaufman and the no virus people had to be opposed. And at that time, Andrew Kaufman was giving lectures about how viruses were really just exosomes. And he has completely stopped. He hasn't mentioned exosomes in almost two and a half years. Interesting. It is extreme. I've worked very hard to catalog his thoughts over the last three years, and he was really close to where I am in 2020. And then suddenly, it interesting, became, it became about FOIAs, and it became about um, exosomes are garbage, um, and it became about isolation and purification and nothing else. And wow. I really feel like there's been a chess move made because he was saying what I was saying earlier, or what I'm saying now, which is cells can't be made to do something they don't already do, and that's what exosomes do you, are. Do you want an opportunity maybe to talk to him about that? Because I might. <laughs> Talk about circling the drain into irrelevance, man. <laughs>
able to make that happen? Like, is that something you're interested in? Because it sounds like a really uh, fantastic conversation. I, I would love it. I mean, I think right now Steve Kirsch is trying to organize some kind of Andy Kaufman duel with him and Kevin McKernan over the isolation and, and, right. and purification thing. So I, I'm so not sure where I am. Okay, sorry, it's time. Okay, but, but, no, no, that's fine. I just want to be careful with the name. Kevin McKernan or McCarran? Hey, McKernan. McKernan. Okay, got it. Thank you. I don't want to get those mixed up. And, and love Kevin. I think he's spectacular. He's amazing. He's terrifyingly smart. Uh, I know. He's, he's so much more than that, though. He's like, he's so, like, um, he's so even-minded and he he's so interesting in, in the other stuff that he's doing. Like, he's not just about, like, all the COVID crap, which... Everyone's coaching on JJ Skippy Snacks. <laughs> which brings so much to his um his research when he's doing this you know this stuff with the stars and uh yeah he turned me on to that movie the scientist which is like one of the sweetest movies i've seen in a long time i love that movie you guys see that movie stephanie the scientist it's about the this israeli guy who who discovered uh, uh thc i don't know that i guess that's oh, worth watching huh it's oh, called the scientist oh, yeah it's really sweet it's like it's got lots of footage of israel and uh like the backstory on this this man's discoveries and his um his way and he was he was very uh you'd love him uh he was very pure yeah they are scared to mix kevin's up <laughs> there be monsters here <laughs> like basic science ask the question don't spend a lot of money like just like investigate in the best way with the best tools that you have in front mm -hmm. of you mm -hmm. that was he he's he he must have been an amazing person he just died like the other day oh no oh, that's too bad so i don't know where kevin and mark are <laughs> i know mark might oh, have an issue with um, hi, Ira. Hey, Ira. Oh, I, I had trouble. I had trouble logging in here. So did you? Yeah. I did too, but it was just that I, it was surprising. It said I couldn't do it unless I was, you know, privileged. And then I tried, I, and I saw there was a password that you had sent, and I thought that's what they wanted—a passcode. But it was actually my password for, for uh, Zoom. And I finally figured that out and got in. But uh, I sent a panic email, and then I quickly sent one that said, "No, no, it's okay." So did that have the same trouble you had? Here's Kevin. Yeah, that's the trouble I had. I didn't know my Zoom password, so I had to reset everything. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we're just we missing Mark. Well, this was like the good old days, remember? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's how I'm going to start out and introduce uh, the whole thing. Um, Mark, I, I think I told Mark that we're in that two-week span where the United States changed the clocks. and uh, you're... Oh, he might be messed up because yeah. the clocks are a mess. Yeah, yeah it's, off, it's off by an hour for two weeks. You know, normally he's six hours. I know. Yes, that's very confusing. And, and Hawaii doesn't change, so I have to worry about everybody. I'm like, this week I was talking with Australia and, 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 and uh, UK and, and US, and I was like, every, everyone I had to make sure it was the right time because it was so confusing. So I, I didn't know Hawaii doesn't change. They're like Arizona then. Yeah, we just stay put, and it, it does get really confusing. You have to watch. And, of course, different times changing uh, in Europe and US makes it even more complicated. So. Okay. You have to watch that clock this time of year. All right, I'll, I'll just assume, I think people are probably watching now, it's 3.03, so um, he'll, he'll, he'll jump in. I mean, we got six people going, plus Ira and, and Mark watching. Um, let, let me uh, just tell people that are watching this how we kind of all got together. <clears throat> Steve Kirsch had put together a steering committee, and I found my way on it somehow, and I met Jessica. And um, who else was already there was Mark and Stephanie. And then I had met Kevin through Massachusetts. Um, he was going to be an expert witness in the first case that I had. And so I met him through, I believe, Twitter at one time. Um, I can't remember how I met Jay. Uh, I, I, I can't. I can't even remember how we met. But maybe Panda. Uh, what was it, Panda? Maybe Panda, I think. Yeah, it could be. Could be. Yeah. Um, and so Panda, another useless fucking bunch of cretins. <laughs> you know. Then Kevin joined us, and then uh, JJ, and so we all talked for months. Um, probably half a year for some, and a full year for for the rest of us. Um, and there's a few people missing. Uh, and then Ira is a, everybody else can introduce themselves, but I'll just say Ira's a physician for over 30 years in Canada has been a, a very big contributor in the group. Um, there's a lot going on up in Canada, especially if you're a, a practicing physician. 
So I was going to be quiet today, but he's welcome to speak anytime he wants. Um, he probably doesn't want to talk about his his case. That's probably ongoing. I won't say any more because I don't want to get him in trouble. I just want to introduce Ira to the crowd, say that he's he's with us in spirit and in uh, in picture and video, if not audio. So, like I said in the uh, in the agenda, uh, each of us will do like five or ten minutes, whatever you want to do, and then when we're done, we can talk about what's going on lately in the world. And, and uh, Kevin, I don't think you're actually off my screen. But I remember admitting you. Kevin's here. Hi, Kevin. Hey there. I don't. I was on mute. Sorry. All right, very good. Um, I just got a message from Mark Giordano saying he's having trouble getting in, so you might want to check the admit list or something. Maybe he may have the same problem that we had. Oh, so what did you do to get in, Stephanie? Did you it, just, it required my Zoom password, but it took me a little bit of time to figure out that's what it wanted. I thought it wanted the passcode, and I looked up there was a passcode, so I tried that, didn't work, and then I got panicked, and then I figured out it wanted my, my password for Zoom. You okay. give it your email and your password, so and you get in. Who so wants to go first? Send Mark a message. No, can, I, can I ask what a link for like people who want to watch this is? Um, so yeah, it's, uh, well, actually, if they just type in my name in Rumble, just John Bodwin, and it's, don't put the senior there. I'm up here on the screen somewhere. Where am I? Yeah, just my, my name is, well, they can't see it. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling them to look at what's not. <laughs> uh, yeah, J-O-H-N-M-B-E-A-U-D-O-I-N. That's it. Type that into the Rumble search bar, and there will come up um, a channel. And if you just click on that on the channel, it'll just come up with this thing first. That's the easiest way to do it. I, right. can put a, I can put a link in the chat. I'll just go find it. So hey, Jess, uh, I, th I think you had some time committed, so why don't you, uh, why don't you kick it off if, if you've got to go, go early? Yeah, I'll be yeah. I'll be working while you're doing that, Jessica. I'm going to talk to Mark and, and so forth. All right. I don't have anything interesting to say, though. Um, <laughs> that's the, the problem. I, I was hoping to just interject uh, with the, the other fantastic information. Steph says she has something really interesting to talk about, and you guys both have amazing stuff going on. So um, I just, I'm just going to say hi and kind of be the, the fly interjecting. Yeah, it's just me maybe. catching up. So we're, we're watching this together. <laughs> and so far, it's boring. Well, maybe at least introduce the audience um, some of the work you did in the last few years, because maybe not everyone knows of uh, you know, yeah, that's sort of push and that stuff. That's true. So All right. So right for, for anyone who doesn't know um, my role in in the the re revelation of the truth of what's actually been going on for the last three years um i got into this like most of us by accident uh, i was meant to travel to australia following my last postdoc to become a professional surfer not a word of a lie that's true and um turns out you know this pandemic was declared right when i was supposed to be there so it got cancelled and um so yeah i had just completed my last postdoc so i had some time on my hands um and so <laughs> i uh i started doing says, some research i never trust a green screen podcast has a heaven's gate vibe yeah man <laughs> i know what you mean because <laughs> at the same time that the uh, the Johns Hopkins site was like rolling in the death count and, and all the fear mongering was starting and you heard words like zoonotic pathogen being thrown out and I was like, whoa, um, my background is in um, applied mathematics and immunology and I have some molecular biology and biochemistry as well. So I'm pretty familiar with the dangers of uh, lethal pathogens and that's kind of how this SARS-2 virus was being portrayed. And I'm sure that they, they didn't know what we were dealing with for the most part in the beginning. So like everyone, I kind of got fooled for a little while. And by a little while, I mean like 10 days. And then I, I started to see um, the truth of the matter uh, by just looking around outside. I was in Israel when it happened. And the, uh, the, the militants with which the uh, the uh, magnets were being deployed was uh, was very strong. So anyway, I just realized that um, there were a lot of lies being told from the beginning based on the fact that I, I have the background to understand the difference. And so I started looking into uh, adverse event data um, shortly thereafter and, and just started talking a lot <laughs> about what I was finding. And uh, the rest is history, as they say. Now I have like hundreds of interviews under my belt. Um, so yeah, that was my that was my background story. Hi, Mark. How's it going, bro? Yeah, we can do that. Go ahead, Mark. Happy to be here. Go ahead. Glad you made it. Uh, hey, Jessica, what's the um? Where can people find you? I have a Substack, um, which is also uh, one of the uh, the wonderful things that came out of the last three years. Um, Jessica.substack.com, and I also have Jessica5b3.substack.com, which is more about uh, current events. Um, I guess Stephanie, do you want to do you want to do the presentation, or do you, do you want me to go on to somebody else? Uh, I can do it. I can do it now if you like. I'll start my video and say hi. <laughs> All right. Uh, so should I just go ahead with my, my presentation? Yeah, let me, um, I think I have to figure out how to let you screen share multiple participants. What happens. Yeah, host disabled. <laughs> that, that should work now. Um, yes, it does. Thanks. Okay. <clears throat> yep, we see it. You're good. Great. Good. Oops. Okay, I'm not quite sure though. Okay, there we go. The mRNA vaccines, exosomes, protein misfolding, and neurodegenerative disease. Um, wonderful. Take those pre on black pills. <laughs> 
do it. And if uh, if Stephanie is the uh, the public face that they will accept rather than uh, <laughs> yours truly uh, for this particular bit of science, then uh, please be my guest. Right, here's the title of the messenger RNA vaccines, exosomes, protein misfolding, and neurodegenerative disease. So I've been studying this, this mRNA technology ever since its warp speed came up. I started studying it. It is fascinating and it is terrifying. And I'm just going to focus on this one topic, although I have many other topics that I'm interested in within this space. I just want to kind of paint the picture of what I see. And she's not a neuroscientist, by the way. <laughs> that scares me the most. And, and I still want to start with sort of arguing why the message RNA vaccines are more likely to cause damage to the organs than an infection. And the way I see it is that when you, uh, when you catch the virus, it goes into the nose, goes into the lungs, it's behind the mucosal barrier. So if you've got a strong immune system, it stays there, it never gets past the mucosal barriers. If it does get past the mucosal barriers, it still has to get past the vascular barrier as well in order to actually get into the organs where it can do damage. So there's a couple barriers between the virus and uh, severe disease. Whereas the vaccine is injected into the deltoid muscle in the arm, past both the mucosal and the vascular barriers. Um, and of course, the RNA is constructed very specially designed with the methylsuberuridines. Uh, it's got those cationic lipids, which are really toxic. Uh, the, the, the mRNA resists breakdown. And it produces spike protein for a long time. And we're seeing that experimentally for months. Uh, it's still producing spike protein. So I, I agree with all of that. RNA usually is recycled within a few hours. So that's very, very different from normal RNA. And of course, it's also been humanized, which, which makes itself that uh, the, the cell doesn't realize it's being infected with a, something that can produce a viral uh, protein. And so the muscle cells take up the nanoparticles. And then they, I think what happens is they synthesize large amounts of spike. They have to get rid of it. They ship it, ship it out in the form of exosomes. And those exosomes can carry lots of other stuff besides the spike. They're going to display the spike protein on their surface. And they're going to have uh, even potentially have the entire messenger RNA molecule in there as well. And um, as well as microRNAs and other proteins, all kinds of um, synthetic, uh, all kinds of activities can be conveyed through those exosomes. Exosomes are a communication network for all the cells in the body. And they will communicate the danger that they see and deliver the danger to recipients where it will then cause a lot of trouble. So it causes inflammation wherever it goes. You can have a spike protein displayed on the surface of an exosome. You can have the fear and cleavage site sniff off S1. S1 can wander through the blood and bind to H2 receptors and a big mess that happens following all of that. So I think, um, and then of course the other issue is the protein itself is, um, is a, a neurotoxin. That's been shown experimentally as well. And it, um, it is amyloidogenic. And I'll get into that in a moment. And so I think much of Good. the pathology is related to- Swallow those black pills, bitch. Mercury, and I'm going to get into that in a moment. So here's a, a paper about exosomes as mediators of chemical induced toxicity and just showing this has nothing to do with spike, but just showing all these different you know, toxic exposures, heavy metals, pesticides, toxic chemicals, of course, toxic chemicals, as I guess what you would call the vaccine, uh, gets taken up by the cell and released in the form of these exosomes. And they have other stuff in them, bioactive count compounds, messenger RNA, that could be the messenger RNA for the spike protein, other proteins, uh, miRNA, this is miRNA, microRNA, which are signaling very powerful short RNA sequences that have policy changes in the cell that receives them. And then they have these things in the, in the membrane that can also hook up to receptors and things like that. So they're designed for communication and they're going to communicate this danger signal to the rest of the body in interesting ways to cause damage wherever they go. Uh, and this is a remarkable paper that I found from 2019 before COVID. This was about messenger RNA technology, and it was erythropoietin that they had coded up in this messenger RNA, and they demonstrated experimentally that the lipid nanoparticles were taken up by the cells at the injection site, repackaged into endosomal vesicles, released into exosomes, and the cationic lipid was included actually one for one with each of the, um, of the uh, uh, nucleotides in the RNA. There was a cationic lipid bound to each one. So you've got the cationic lipid in there too, which is going to make this exosome positively charged. That's not good for the blood in terms of the zeta potential, the whole other story there. They can be taken up by the cells, and then those cells can translate the RNA into protein. So that's really, really dangerous. And the picture here of the administration, the source cell, the extracellular vesicles taken up making, making the protein. All of it's there. And then here's another paper, exosomes, extracellular RNA in muscle and bone aging and crosstalk. And this is, again, talking about the muscle cells when they're exposed to uh, some kind of stressors. They release exosomes. They package up things inside the exosomes that are communication uh, information uh, to, the, to the cells that receive them. And um, evidence is accumulating that the cargo of muscle-derived exosomes can be changed under pathological conditions so that you can have different microRNAs. And that's been shown actually experimentally with the, with the, um, with the spike protein, with the mRNA for, for the vaccine, that microRNAs are packaged up inside ex exosomes that induce inflammation in the brain. And so they contribute to the propagation of path pathogenic responses to distant cells. And that's where I think it's going from the muscle to the brain. And I actually think it could be that the exosomes are traveling along axons of nerves that have their soma in the, uh, in the spinal cord. And the nerves that are, are the motor neurons that control muscle movement and also the sensory neurons that are picking up the muscle pain, they both have axons that extend to the muscle and the ex exosomes travel along their fibers. So they can go to the brainstem, they can go from there up to the brain, uh, the, the, the core um, nuclei in the brainstem. Uh, agree with all of that. 
Um, been talking about it nonstop for three years. And then they can cause a big mess. Um, so this is a paper, amyloidogenesis of SARS-CoV-2 spike protein. Many papers have talked about the potential for the protein to cause other proteins to misfold, like the prion protein does. It has prion-like behaviors, and it has prion-like sequences in the, in the protein. Theor uh, theoretically, that's been shown. They have you know, statistical models, and then experimentally as well, that it uh, causes protein misfolding. And then the perspective of S-protein amyloidogenesis in COVID-19 disease Associated pathogenesis can be important in understanding disease and long COVID. And long COVID, of course, in many ways resembles vaccine injury. I think they're kind of the same thing. So, <laughs> again, I'm I'm a, a, always a little suspect of people that would um, put their fingers on the scales, as it were, when you know this paper that she's looking at here specifically was about um, the the disease spike protein. Now, the preprint itself actually raised concerns about gene transfecting uh, this particular peptide sequence. Um, of, uh, I guess, out of conformity uh, with wanting to publish that they scrubbed much of that from their discussion. Um, but, you know, the, the critical take-home, I would say at this point, is that spike is spike is spike. And we can... Um, well, I, to... to sort out that data to disambiguate it um will be hard because you'll always you'll always have people go to the refrain well it, could it could it be infection we know infection does all the um all the processes that she was talking about as well um, so this is, uh, I was really excited that Luc Montagnier's paper finally did get officially published, uh, peer-reviewed. It was a preprint for a long time. Uh, he unfortunately passed away, So, uh, but his co-authors managed to usher the paper through a review process. And, um, and this was an uh, article by Marina Zhang in the... Um, in the Epic News, Epic Times, sorry, studies link incurable prion disease with COVID-19 vaccines. So I think it's much more than prion disease. I think ALS-like syndromes, of course, the, the heart damage, I think is connected as well to this issue with the prion protein. I suspect, and also neuropathy, polyneuropathy, and even alopecia. So I've been finding all these papers that show a very interesting thing that I'll get into in a moment. But first, I want to talk about Luc Montagnier in this paper. There were 26 people altogether. 23 of them were the messenger RNA. The other three had the J&J &J vaccine. And all the messenger RNA people had, had actually symptoms within two weeks of their second mRNA vaccine. And this is a month, but these, these took a little longer, the J&Js. Many of them were dead within three months. It's a very aggressive form of Christoph-Jakob disease, which is the human mad equivalent of mad cow disease caused by misfolding of the prion protein. And um, so it's a very aggressive form of CJD that these people suffer from. Normally, it would take longer, like maybe five years, but this was very fast at the moment. And you can you can tell she's not a neuroscientist because she missed a whole list of uh, possible diagnoses that could uh, come from this particular route as well. At last I heard, only one of them was still alive. Uh, so this is where it gets really interesting, in my opinion. I picked up, I happened to notice this sequence, YQAGS, which is in the um, receptor binding domain. This is the receptor binding domain of the spike protein, this sequence. And there are these antibodies. This, this uh, paper is studying the antibodies that were produced in response to the vaccine um, associated with the receptor binding domain. So they found these, uh, you know, there's this one, this one, this one. There's four antibodies here, two of them. Uh, this one goes from 455 to 478. This one goes from 439 to 478. They're both going to pick up this piece at the end, YQAGS. And then in this study, they showed that, uh, so there's the YQAGS. These two, as well as I think this one, all had a very good antibody response to the vaccine. Uh, so the people who got the vaccine had a much stronger uh, expression of these antibodies than people who didn't, uh, very significant. And also that they worked well to, to protect you from uh, the disease. Now, this is very important because I think these antibodies are trouble. And the problem is that there's a sequence YQRGS that's found in the C-terminal domain of the human prion protein. And I think what's happening is that antibodies are binding to the C-terminal domain of the human prion protein. And what that causes is for the protein to disappear. It gets broken up and removed by the digestive system of the cell. It disappears. And the cell becomes prion protein deficient. Not the same thing as misfolding. Very, very interesting. And it turns out to be 
company several papers about this C-terminal domain and the roles that it plays. It plays an important role in muscles, in the heart, of course, in the brain, the neurons, and in the um, in the uh, neuro neuro neural fibers, the, um, uh, the uh, axons and the dendrites and all of that. It, it plays a role in the uh, nerve fibers as well. So here's a paper, and there are others as well, but antibodies to C-terminal domain are- Not neuroscientists. <laughs> Neurotoxic. That's what this paper showed. This was in 2015, so long before COVID. And they, they've been playing around with it. And they found that if they uh, treated the cerebellar slices with antibodies uh, to this, um, to this uh, global, globular domain, the globular domain is the same, is the C-terminal domain. Um, and the antibodies exposing that to antibodies was neurotoxic and induced toxicity within days rather than months, which was more typical for things that caused the protein misfolding. And they said, most glaringly, the kinetics of GDL-induced neurodegeneration is much faster than that of experimental prion infections. And the condition resembles CJD, but with much faster progression. And that what can I say? <laughs> Told you. That's exactly what I feel these people have. So I'm suspecting this may be the mechanism by which they're being uh, harmed by the vaccine. And so in summary, um, the messenger RNA vaccines are a bioweapon for distributing spike proteins throughout the body. Agreed. Much like, likely, much of it packaged up with the exosomes. And so the exosomes are, also have the messenger RNA. They're actually about the same size as the nanoparticles in the vaccine. But they are, but they're going to have all kinds of other stuff in them. The microRNAs that are going to influence policy. And of course, the spike protein itself displayed on the surface, it's going to uh, be a much more efficient mechanism for distributing and that they travel very efficiently along the nerve fibers. I think. Why am I not in this convo? Because uh, I'm too, uh, <laughs> I'm too outright for a bro. Look, um, I, I, th there's a. I take a particular line with how I do this work, etc. And it's, you know, often it's about being able to cut through um, with and, and get sort of scathing criticism onto what, what I consider to be uh, scientific nonsense. Now, so far, I'm not disagreeing uh, with anything that Stephanie is saying. It's an interesting hypothesis that there's a similar... Um, epitope with respect to the receptor binding motif that could potentially be impacting uh, your biological biologically needed prion protein um that seems testable uh very amenable to testing and so um Maybe, maybe this or the last study she was looking at, I'm unfamiliar with it, but perhaps we, we should take a look at this and um, see, see what it has to say. Um, maybe I'll do that in the next stream in the vaccine, but they are, but they're going to have all kinds of other stuff in them, the microRNAs that are going to influence policy. And of course, the spike protein itself displayed on the surface, it's going to uh, be a much more efficient mechanism for distributing and that they travel very efficiently along the nerve fibers. I think all of that is very, very dangerous. Cells exposed to this transfection, release the exosomes containing the messenger RNA along with the cationic lipid. That's another issue because that's going to be in there. And the recipient cells can produce protein from the messenger RNA in the exosomes. Spike protein is amyloidogenic and neurotoxic. The receptor binding binder domain contains this sequence, YQAGS, which is similar to, but not identical. And that's actually important too, because if it were identical, it wouldn't work. It has to be different in order for there to be an antibody response. Otherwise, it'll be, appear to be a human sequence. So similar, but not identical to the C-terminal, which is going to cause this toxic uh, effect. So an aggressive form of CJD found in association with the vaccines may be due to molecular mimicry between the spike protein and the prion protein. And that's the end of my presentation. Stephanie, I feel bad. Like you had a time limit you had to meet. You were going so fast. Yeah, I just wanted to be casual. But uh, Jonathan has his hand up. You know, we, we don't have to do hands. It's up to you guys. Oh, I don't mind doing hands. I'm so used to it now. Hey, could you, I'm just going to give you a few more minutes by just saying, um, could you clear it up for the viewers? What is the prion protein doing um, uh, in normal conditions? And why would 
creating a deficiency of it cause problems. Yeah, that's a good point. And I should have probably said that because it, I, I read a lot about prion disease and I sort of assume people know this, but the prion protein is actually a very, very important protein in its natural function. And it, it's important in muscles for allowing them to hook up to their extracellular matrix. It's, it can cause, a uh, deficiency can cause polyneuropathy. A deficiency can also cause alopecia, which is hair loss. And of course it can cause CJD, an aggressive form of CJD. All of this has been seen in, um, in the, and of course it's the, the binding of those antibodies, any antibodies that bind to that C-terminal domain, experimentally they've shown that that causes it to be removed, not to be misfolded, but to be cleared. So you get a deficiency. What they have these mice that are engineered. You know, they do a lot of engineering of mice, and they can knock out their prion protein. Did did I look at her before? Yeah, I've I've looked at um, Stephanie's work, and you know, again, um, she's she's sort of picking up cues from elsewhere. She's um, she's not a neurodegeneration expert from anything that I can tell, and you know, she's look more power to her for sort of picking up and um, trying to go down that publishing route i'm sort of <laughs> I, I, I do we want to keep contributing to a rotten model is is my position and you know i'll use it if i have to right now and for the moment i just i want to talk about the impact from these neurotoxic peptides that's that's all i've been doing for the last uh, last three years and the fact that they've stepped into a realm where their La, weaponization becomes... <laughs> you had enough? All right. Thank you. I'd never have enough. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Sally. Much, much appreciated. And then they can show that when they do that, uh, these mice suffer from all of these conditions that it turns out are also showing up as uh, side effects of the vaccine. I think it's a oh. critical part of the story. Uh, for the um, for the vaccine, um, are there any mutations in those regions in Omicron or the other variants such that the uh, the effect would be modulated a bit? Yeah. Yes. So Omicron loses that um, the prion binding site that was identified by Tets and Tets. So presumably that well, with the virus, that particular risk has been mitigated somewhat, and that is a part of the discussion that. Um, Montagnier and Perez uh, mention in their in their paper. I, I actually looked at that a bit, and I'm not clear what I remember, but I think it was pretty uh, held true. I think it did not it, it did not get mutated, so all of the forms have it. Interesting. Okay, but so I need to check that for sure. I'm not. No, so <laughs> she's she's wrong on that count. <laughs> like I say, she's uh, well. I'm not going to say out of her depth, but um, she's not the She's not the person that I would be going to for insights. Not sure that's true. I so actually you, did look into that. Is there any case where you think the, the prion formation is actually going the other direction, where there's uh, where you're stimulating prion formation as opposed to creating a deficiency? I don't, but I don't know if that's you know that's a possibility. I think, in fact, what was interesting, I found papers that were talking about, you know, they have this idea of it, maybe they even have antibodies. They have this idea of a, of a vaccine for Alzheimer's disease that's based on uh, giving you, uh, exposing you to proteins that have sequences that are similar to but not identical to amyloid beta. And the idea is to knock out the amyloid beta because they keep thinking all that amyloid beta plaque is bad and you need to remove it. You know, all which doesn't work. <laughs> We've been trying that for decades. All of their efforts on Alzheimer's have been centered on trying to get rid of amyloid beta, which is a mistake because amyloid beta also has very important roles to play. People don't understand. It's the misfolding that's the problem, not the, right. not the protein. Yeah. And, they, and then I found papers that were talking about uh, developing vaccines, the idea of developing a vaccine for prion disease based on having a similar sequence and, um, and then causing antibodies and then uh, you know, removing the prion protein. But the, and then they, so that's why they started looking at antibodies and what happens when they're there. And I think they were quite shocked to find out the antibodies could cause serious disease.
by virtue of removing the protein, then they've gotten very interested. In fact, for all of these proteins, you know, the amyloid beta, the alpha-synuclein, uh, all of the proteins that are misfolding in association with various neurodegenerative diseases, they're finding more and more that maybe the problem. Yes, this, this is true. And um, we, we will continue to find more. And I would, I would put forward the premise that any, any protein, if, if it has that propensity towards beta-pleated sheets, as a as an active exposed surface potentially could become a propagon that that would be the current view now there are canonical proteins that we do look at but how how much of that is sort of end stage disease and how much how much are we not seeing because well you you only look for you only find what you look for with the misfolding is more a consequence of removing it from its natural role rather than the actual toxicity of the misfolded protein. Right. So they're wow. starting to get really confused about that. That's wild. So we 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 do or we don't know if Omicron has this uh doesn't. Well, it has the amyloidogenic sequences, but the prion protein domain is uh diminished. It's it's gone. Maybe I can pull up that it's, paper. It's five five amino acids, right? This um yeah, YQAGS. It's a right. tyrosine, a glutamine, alanine, glycine, serine. YQAGS. I, I remember finding a paper, and I think I remember finding that everybody still had that. I think there might have been one mutation of one of those. I'm forgetting actually. I think so it was pretty well preserved, but that can be figured out. I mean, somebody could, could do that. I should do that, and I haven't. I'm not crisp on that, so I'm not. Oh, exactly that's sure. really fascinating, though. Wow, it's it's like a a really big spin on an existing. So we can look here and let's see, let's go down. Paper, I got to pull the preprint. That's SARS CoV 2, I guess. Yep. I think this one must be Omicron. So Omicron doesn't have this. Uh, you, you, you're looking at very zoomed in um, Omicron. Yeah, so this, this little bump is gone in Omicron. So, eh, she didn't know that. But, uh, <laughs> they could have spoke to the real expert, but, eh. You know, idea. Yeah, and even the possibility that they were trying to design a vaccine. I mean, I know Luc Montagnier uh, felt they might be trying to develop a vaccine for HIV, because it has HIV sequences in there, too, mm -hmm. and Luc found that out. It's really got a lot of stuff in there. You feel like they were kind of playing around with all kinds of ideas of sort of tossing a bunch of things into a coronavirus and see what happens. Uh, I agree, Maples. Uh, Maples says, man, hearing Senef from what is Kevin's area of expertise really irked me. Preonopathies are really complicated. and need clinical insight to explain. You can't just go around saying mad cow disease for such complex areas of research. Yeah, I agree. 
And like I say, she just sort of hoovered. And I, I don't, I'm glad that the papers, people have put their name to papers with respect to talking about um, pre-energic mechanisms. I'm, I'm, <laughs> makes my job easier. And, you know, what, what is my job is, is to speak to people that want to listen about these pathologies, this, uh, this unusual biology, I guess, neuroscience, which, you know, many, many teams and experts around the world are working on. And, you know, it helps to have research and clinical experience in this domain. She is lacking. I, I, all the people on this call from my who appear lack clinical experience from my perspective and you see it in the types of mistakes that they're making you know and whether they were trying to develop vaccines against serious disease as as a goal or whether they were doing something else like biowarfare i mean who knows what they were trying to do but biowarfare bitch say it <laughs> they're weaponizing pre-energic pathways and mechanisms get <laughs> Get me the fucking data. Hurry up. That's an interesting possibility. And then when they look and find out, oh, no, it's not such a good idea to remove the prion protein, they have to re regroup and rethink what they're trying to do here. So I, I don't know if all that's going on. And of course, no one's told us, you know, whether they would have been trying to do something like that. I'd love to know what they were trying to do in those Yeah, lines. Yeah, I think what was the, uh, the sequence again? I'll try and search for it in the background here. I've got a... Uh, yeah, yeah, good. Y-Q-A-G-S. Y-Q-A-G-S. Yes, okay. That's a perfect segue, by the way, to go to JJ's um, uh, ideas about the... The, um, the infectious clones. I mean, it's it's a fascinating fascinating idea, and it makes so much sense, which lends to the it gives credence to the they did it on purpose as a as a biological weapon idea. You want to go, JJ? I hey, go. I'm muted. Sorry about that. Yes, thank you. I'll go. Um, so I've been uh, active like a lot of. Maple says it's not a fault. It's obvious she was used as token prion exposer due to Mr. Scooby Snack sabotaging Kevin. Yeah, you know, that's that's what you're seeing here. Again, um, poison networks. Um, you know, who's who's getting you closer to the ground truth? And here we're going to have, I don't know, the infectious clone. These, these humans um, and trying to get the word out about basic biology. And um, I've been kind of focused on learning the immunology again um, after having learned it as an undergraduate, as a grad student, and trying to figure out where the line of fidelity in virology is really drawn. Um, and after about a year and a half of this struggle, um, I had my, my path cross uh, the path of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And so um, since then, I've been uh, a scientific advisor for him behind the scenes. And a lot of... Got that job because of Rick, see? <laughs> my recent work has been spurred by questions and specifically questions about what does what is an infectious clone, what do they mean when they say this, um, was a question that was posed to me by Bobby. And over the course of trying to figure out what, this, what the implications of this methodology were, I've come to realize that I think it's possible that um, there are more smoke and mirrors than uh, anybody wants to really admit. Um, so let me just switch over here. Hopefully, if you have it set to um, speaker, I can just switch like this, and I can put myself down here in the corner. Um, so let's just go forward and say, first of all, they've told you that bat coronavirus is out of a cave, um, are capable of, uh, of the verb pandemic. Um, they're capable of pandemicking. Um, they've also told you that this, this ability to cause a pandemic. So um, I, don't, I don't think anyone who's been in this uh, game buys any of this One Health gibberish in the current environment. Again, this all comes down to biowarfare research, countermeasure research, 
and the wow, well, we we weaponized the legislation because of nine eleven, and they used it, used it against their uh, their own populations, controllers, whatever you want to call them, K two six Rs or rather the potential to cause a pandemic can be accessed if you take a virus out of the wild and you passage it successively through a special cell culture or even in some cases a series of animals um, and at the end you get pandemic potential and i'm going to argue that in fact they've told you these stories because they don't want you to know the real biology can't support this idea and their goal is to use a relatively harmless background pathogen to try and coerce us out of our individual sovereignty and do a kind of global conversion from you know individual sovereignty to individual permissions and I think that is going to be achieved if we don't make it become common knowledge that these gain-of-function mythologies are, are exactly that. They're largely mythologies. So the trick is to think about the, the cartoon um, that they've told you on television, which is that when you... Wouldn't an infectious clone be a form of biowarfare? Yes. Yes. It's what people have been trying to say from the beginning. When, when they're talking about barracks, ligation, no seum technology, that they're all talking about this ability to make these yeah, cl clones and there's not jay is not incorrect when talking about um concentrating a pathogen with a um via infective clone route via plasmids via yeast etc as, as a way to um construct your genome of interest um where where he goes wildly off target is when he tries to make claims about the pathology that don't jive with the clinical experience. But yes, an infectious clone most definitely is biowarfare. When you're infected with a virus, you have a bunch of copies of it in your lungs and you cough those on your family members and that's how this works. Because it's actually not true. More importantly, all of virology knows that it's not true. They know that there is a ratio to be measured between infectious particles and particles which are non-infectious because they have a genome with too many errors, they're missing genes, they're missing proteins, et cetera. This quantity, or let's say this ratio, has been vo very poorly characterized since it was first recognized. And in fact, you might even suggest that there's been a paucity of effort to characterize this. I'm gonna suggest to you that this would be one of the key things to figure out as we try to parse out really what coronavirus infection is and how does our immune system deal with it. I'm going to suggest to you that, and my viewers, that there's, um, there's one sort of anecdotal story that always gets told about coronaviruses that goes along with this one as well, and that is that it's very difficult to culture them. You can read papers about the, the Wuhan Institute of Virology sampling from hundreds, if not thousands, of animals and only coming up with a few imperfect and incomplete sequences and maybe able to culture one that they get a Sanger sequence from. And this was considered to be quite a successful expedition. And they tell you that's because they don't have the right culture, they don't have the right cell type, they don't know how to do it. But in reality, I think it could be related to the, inf the infectious cycle and the fact that they have misled us about the purity of it and the, the fidelity of viral replication to tell us a story. And the st Maples is right. It doesn't matter for fuck's sake. Call it virus, infectious pathogenic exosomes, Bobby's fever dream monsters, infectious clone or whatever, but it is and will be part of biowarfare. Yes, that is, that's where everyone needs to get to. And then, and then if you've got the balls to get to, well, we're dealing with biowarfare, you're going to have to wrestle with the fact that someone shouldered that weapon, looked down the site, and fired at you. What are you going to do then? <laughs> hey? Stories that they've told us are these, and then I'll be done. 
The first story that you can accept is that this is a natural bat cave virus. Each of these sets of Earths is here. So at the beginning of the pandemic, the bat cave virus was released. The following year, it was Delta, I guess, or Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta, I don't know which. At some point, there was an Omicron variant, which first appeared in South Africa. That Omicron variant also took over the world. And now we're here at some green variant. In this model, the green Earths indicate that the lockdowns didn't hurt anybody. We can also say that the false positives were, were rare. We can say that novel coronaviruses jump and cause a pandemic. And we can say that we've spent money on gain-of-function research, and it's all okay. <clears throat> in the laboratory bat cave zoonosis uh, story, maybe you think that the protocols hurt more people. So we'll start with green Earths, but then right away we'll turn it to yellow because some of the protocols weren't correct. But you still believe that there's a virus circulating the Earth that came from one point on Earth and spread all around. You might even think that Omicron is a second release. Either way, you still think there was a virus that circulated the Earth consistently for three years, replicating itself in different lines, but always coming back to the same variant. In this scenario, it's the exact same thing. We spend money on gain-of-function research. Novel viruses can jump from nature or from a lab, and PCR false positives are relatively rare. You could also say that there's another scenario where maybe the vaccines are hurting people, but there was a real virus and the lockdowns worked. But all of these still have this virus in the background that wasn't there before. It doesn't matter where it came from. It wasn't there before, and it's here now. The other scenario that's very seductive and sucking a lot of people in is the no virus scenario. Now, what if I told you, actually, I think every person that believes any of these scenarios is actually not wrong. They're just confused. And that there is a single biological narrative which can explain why the no virus story holds a lot of water, while the laboratory virus holds a lot of water, and the natural virus story seems to hold a lot of water. And that is a previously endemic background. If you will recall, SARS was released or found in 2002, but then there were three more coronavirus leaks from China in 2004. Then there was a leak from Taiwan in 2006. Then there was a leak from China again in 2009. And there were at least 484 reported leaks by the CDC in their own reports from American Labs. So it's likely, it's kind of likely that there are some SARS viruses in the background along with the other endemic coronaviruses that are always there. So if we make the, the initial story that there are a bunch of coronaviruses, then we can say, well, we don't know because we weren't, unfortunately, we weren't testing for them at all. Um, so anyway, imagine that in order to explain how the, the, the beautiful, beautiful signal, molecular signal is released all around the world, it's so uniform that it's actually not supported by the RNA biology that we understand that underlies coronaviruses and incidentally requires them to make coronaviruses into a cDNA copy in order to work on them in a laboratory. A cDNA copy that makes every virin the same. It makes every genome the same in the clone. And so it's a very convenient methodology that's been around since 1987, invented by David Baltimore and Vincent Ranson Yellow, and is a way of making an RNA virus that's almost impossible to culture and sustain in a lab, sustainable in a laboratory for years. And it's JJ? Sorry, yes, go ahead. Are you going to do the CD and uh, tape analogy? Because that really, really hit home for me. And I think people will would love to hear that analogy because they can A, relate to it, and then B, really understand the significance of you know, the, the lab versus the wild type thing. I love you for saying it because I cut it out. I wanted it to be short, but I'll put it in. It's only going to take me two more seconds, John. Forgive no, me. It's, it's such a good analogy. So I think it's, it's like it'll drive home what you're saying uh, for people who don't really have the, the background. Thank, thank you, Jessica. Um, I owe you one. So when they oh. typically get infected, they say that the virus is all the same, right? And I've already told you that that's not the case and that that's the reason why this story doesn't make sense. And it's really hard to culture. Well, if the virus was making perfect copies of itself, it would be easy to culture, but it's not. It's making very poor copies of itself. Many of the copies are non-replication competent. That makes it difficult to culture coronaviruses from the wild. The solution that they've come up with is to take that RNA sequence that they find in the wild, turn it into cDNA constructs that can be grown in high quantities in a bacterial culture. They can then use any number of ways to convert that cDNA to RNA. We don't have to get into that now. And in fact, because we're going to talk with, with somebody like Kevin McKernan, it would be really silly for me to try and wax intellectual about all the details of that. But the point is, is that when they do this, they are able to create a purity level of a single copy, many, many copies of a pure RNA that can't exist in nature because of the nature of replicating RNA. Now, the, the trick is, is that up until now, no one has really tried to measure the infectious ratio of a coronavirus swarm in an animal or in nature or anywhere else. But my guess is it's a lot different than one to one or 10 to one or even 50 to one. The point is, is that if you make an RNA copy 
I'm uh, sorry, a DNA master copy, you can make lots of copies of the same RNA and you will have averted this problem that makes it so difficult to culture coronaviruses from the wild. So JJ, are you, are you suggesting that they're making, um, so, you know, if you put that infectious clone into a mammalian cell, you're going to get a very similar output to what um, uh, SARS does, right? The, the, the replicated machinery is going to make this really odd array of, of different expression from the N gene, the M gene, and because uh, it has to, right? If you want to actually stoichiometrically put one genomic piece of DNA or RNA into a capsid, you have to make like 100 to 1,000 spikes, 100 to 1,000, you know, um, N proteins, envelope proteins. So, so they're going to express a lot more of that junk at the end of the molecule just to make that assemble correctly. Are you suggesting that, that to do an infectious clone release, you'd have to like take the clones, grow them in E. coli like they're doing for the vaccines, and then um, purify them, and then make a lot of T7 like RNA off of it, and then infect people with the RNA somehow? In that case, it would, be, it would be linear. It'd all be one molecule. It wouldn't be all diced up and having this, this different type of um, expression profile that we see in nature. Right. So that's that's kind of my point, is that if you did that, you would have a an infectious clone would be an, a not an accurate representation. Right, let me read this for my thoughts. I was called even a COVID denier and a death denier for years because I was always against the fear porn, the state terrorist-isms and the iatro genocide going on. However, I've always been looking into the clinical picture of the disease, molecular biology and immunology of the agent. And this freaking chief Scooby, who probably has never seen a patient and only mice neurons, denies all the fucking damage this has caused apart from the response. Yeah, um, he, he's, he's kind of sitting in that um, camp. And, you know, there's a, there's a case around, you know, by... Everyone, I think, is just on board with the idea of the, as Jay calls it, the infectious clones. They were using recombinant biology, well-established techniques to engage in um, building out their backbones and adding in <laughs> epitopes to the spike protein. So... Um, it's, it seems like a, a, a moot point, and I, I would go with Charles, where we have data that shows that there is spread and it fits with accepted models, I would guess, of aerosol expression, etc., dispersion. Um, the, the problem with Jay's approaches is that you need trucks and drones and many, many people going around being involved for the simultaneous release and to keep maintaining it up until, well, once, you, once you've gene transfected everyone with a spike, then the environment's always seeded. But um, there definitely were different strains, right? Yes, yes. Presentation of what SARS does when it's on its own. And so if they released a large, even a small quantity of an RNA infectious clone with the identical molecular signature in these different places, then all of this symptomology and all of the molecular signals would line up perfectly for a brief period of time while the clone's purity was pure enough for that to happen. Yeah, so I mean, I'm with you that the, this, this allowable like two by five opinion card in Wuhan versus wet market is ridiculous, right? Like that, that's not when it started. Uh, and all they had to do is like turn on the PCR um, lights, if, if you will, and you can start seeing patterns of, of viruses moving through the population. And they could have done this on HQ, HKU1 if they want to, uh, just by simply looking and, and ringing alarm bells. Um, I guess what I'm trying to see is, is like, how is the infectious clone RNA expression different than what the virus does? Because when I, when I see that, I'm like, it's the same polymerase making the same errors, making the same. Uh, um... Yeah, so the problem is though, think about it. And this is the way I think about it. So I'm, I'm, I would love you to help me think better. Um, if if, if the best case scenario was you took an infectious clone and put it on an airline and everybody on the airplane had, or everybody in the room had it, then you put them all on different airplanes, wherever they landed, that infectious clone would still go off now in a relatively random direction, in my imagination, yeah. rather than all going to Delta 
then all going, because these are all different chains of infection. It's not like, so the only way that Italian doctors for the first month could have measured the same sequence as people in, in Seattle is if the people that got infected were infected with the same clone. Otherwise, there would have been a molecular difference because we saw that in the first SARS between every patient. Oh, between SARS-1, you're saying yeah. there's, there's so much divergence between yeah. those. Does SARS-1 have the same, it must have the same error proofing. It's got an Exxon N gene, right? Because I think it sure it's, does. It's, yeah. it's a long gene. I mean, it's a long, it's a long genome. So therefore it's, I mean, the error rates, um, I've read on that are something like one in 10,000, maybe one in a hundred thousand when there's an Exxon N gene in there. Um, and then I, I wasn't reading the, 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 it seemed pretty similar to human RNAP. Human RNAP is, is what, if you put this clone inside of a human cell, uh, the first round of, of making the template RNA off of the clone is going to be from probably RNA polymerase or RNAP. And that, and that has an error rate of like one in a hundred thousand. But then after that's made, SARS starts doing its business and uh, RDRP takes over, which has an error correcting polymerase, which ends up being almost in the same ballpark. It's a little bit, a little bit more noisy than the human one, but uh, but it's only that one cycle of making human RNA, of going off the clone into making human RNA. After that, it's going to be uh, the machinery is going to get read by the ribosome, and then all the expression is going to change. You're going to start getting too much N protein, or I shouldn't say too much, just more N protein, more N uh, you know envelope and whatnot. Um, so I don't know how the mutation spectrum changes. Uh, going this way. Uh, you know, oh, but I don't think it did. My argument is the mutation spectrum is being chosen from the background of SARS viruses. They're already there. That's why Omicron was present the whole time. They just brought it up when they decided to call spike target failure a real a positive. Right, right, right. So there is no evolution, and DARPA is controlling these sequences. It's not like it's an open source database that that random sequences can be thrown into. Oh, you mean the G set? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that is the unfortunate There are there are several million, like six point seven or something in NCBI, which is more open source. But I don't know how quickly they get there. Um, they may not be as real time as G said. All right, go on. Sorry, I interrupted. No, no, you didn't interrupt at all. It was perfect interruption. Actually, it was very helpful. Um, so so keeping in mind what Kevin just said, um, that yeah, that um that I'm, there is some difference between RNA and DNA. And the, uh, the most important thing for my model is the idea that DNA can be accurately copied into much larger accurate quantities relative to RNA. You can make a lot of RNA if you start from DNA, but if you're making copies of RNA using the traditional viral proteins that do it, there's gonna be a certain walk that occurs that doesn't necessarily have to occur if you're on a molecular bench using the state-of-the-art molecular techniques that have been invented by Kevin McKernan and other people. DNA is very high fidelity. What that means is, is that we can kind of think about RNA viruses as being like a mixtape. So if you remember making a mixtape for your girlfriend, it's a tape that's derived from original albums that you bought at the store that are of the highest quality. When you put them on the mixtape, they lose a little bit of quality, but they're not too bad. The problem is, is that Fearless can't make a copy of that because then there will be too much hiss, too much noise. You won't want to listen to it in your headphones. And if you turn it loud in your car, it'll sound like garbage. But CDs fixed all that. Suddenly, CDs, once we could copy them, we could, we could share albums with people and sharing the album, you could even make a mixtape and share it with them because you didn't lose the fidelity with each copy that you did with this mixtape. So my argument is, is that have they tried to study what is essentially an imperfect genetic pathogen or something like that, and they've tried to study it by first modeling it with a perfect copy. And this has resulted in a whole field of science, there's no question about it, that you can study the natural sequences by making a synthetic version of them and then putting them in cell culture in large quantities using electroporation or something like that. The, the, the particles that are produced will cause animals to get sick. They will cause antibodies to, to neutralize them. They will even be shareable with people around the world. But the trick is to realize that it is a horrible approximation of the natural infection. And because of this, we can look at, well, I think we can look at what happened in this pandemic and come to a conclusion that maybe it might not have been the story that they say. So if you think of it this way, a real simple explanation for why the molecular pattern was so uniform is because on a background of SARS viruses, which is depicted here, they released in some places around the world a brief bout of an infectious clone so that all the molecular signals would be the same. And then now they just go forward. As the clone disappears, they just announce new sequences. They just omit the ones that don't fit. They might've even already known what the background was before they started the show. But the reason why this is cool is because now the no virus people aren't crazy. Now the molecular biologists aren't crazy. Now even debunk the funk is not crazy for saying the PCR is pretty accurate when you have nested primers. And this all lines up a bunch of things that can make people that, are, that seem to be very zealous about the thing that they understand actually right. And if we could 
sort of get people to just think in this direction. I'm not saying I'm correct, but I'm just saying that maybe a good goal is to find a hypothesis that gets more of us to agree on, on the biology. That's, that's where I've been. Thanks for, for pushing me to add that a little bit, Jessica. That was great. Yeah. So for, for people who, who are, have brains like, like me, um, maybe they're wondering uh, in your, um, from your point of view, is there a way to prove this? Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I don't know if that was directed at me. No, um, it was directed at me. Oh, I'm just puzzled. Sorry, I'm just oh, okay. puzzled. Kevin, okay, please. I, I offer something that I, yes, I think we want, to, we want to know the background. Like, what is the mutation rate of like HKU1 seasonally? Because, um, it, you know, is that in fact mutating so quickly such that it, it can arise from a point source? Or is it different than the mutation rate that we're seeing in, in, in CVs, right? Because the, I, I think the premise of what you're saying, JJ, is that um, the mutation rate should not make it, there shouldn't be these homogeneous waves of different variants from, from alpha, delta, gamma to omicron uh, that take over the world at what seems to be at, at too quick of a rate. Is that my, my summarizing that correctly? Yeah, I, I think it's part of it. Yes, definitely. It implies a level of fidelity that I don't think can exist. There should be more branches. Um, okay. All right. So, so yeah, I guess to try to tease it apart, we have to, because the one thing that's going on, Jessica, is that we turned on massive scale PCR and sequencing surveillance for the first time in human history on viruses in, in, in 2020, right? So we, we don't really know what this looked like in 2019. And did, were we seeing waves of these things that were just not there that we can see, right? Um, and that may in fact be the case that, um, you know, the, that may give us some, 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 some idea of, of what the actual viruses look like naturally and whether this is deviating from that type of mutational spectrum. Yeah, I, I think the the area that will, you'll, you'll probably need some pushback in the maybe the virologist field, maybe the, the Rancinellas and um, I probably shouldn't speak for them, but I, th I think that you know they, they would probably say, okay, there's no reason to believe the mutation rate of the clone is necessarily more stable than um, than uh, the virus mutation rate, unless unless it is that you actually are, are like you're launching alpha, delta, gamma in multiple cities at the same time with uh, with the clones uh, to to make these radical changes. Um, and maybe that's that's you know part of what you're suggesting, but um, I, they, they would probably argue that if you put a clone into a into, into a million cell its mutation spectrum is going to be much different once you get into the RNA world. Because the first step is, I agree with you, replicating the DNA has got high fidelity. It's like one, one error in a million, right? Uh, but the moment an, an RNA polymerase hits that thing, you're, you're already kicking off at like uh, 10 to the minus fifth, 10 to the minus fourth error rates. Uh, and that's not much worse than the virus. Uh, so that they, they can both start making errors. Uh, it sounds like what you're suggesting is maybe there's the possibility of someone seeding a, a consensus through DNA first. Yeah. And and, uh, and that's what uh, is maybe being used to make the PCR systems like have S-gene dropout and, and, and sort of be chasing its tail. Yeah, maybe that is. I mean, again, I'm, I'm still trying to work through this too. The, the most important thing that the infectious clone idea came brought to me is an understanding of how, I mean, it's so ubiquitous in virology, you can't believe it. And I mean, almost every paper starts with an infectious clone. And so it's... Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> from a science perspective, you want a sort of standardized model on which on which to work with. That That would be a lot of the scientific rationale for doing this approach. And you know, Kevin raises Kevin raises a important point, which is: are the are the mutation rates of clones different to what we observe in the natural environment? And Jay's hypothesis is dependent on two things. One is that GISAID is being messed with, potentially. It's something uh, an idea that I've toyed with. Just you know, maybe maybe they've backdoored all the PCR machines in the world. It's it's, a, it's potential. I mean, I'm, I wouldn't I wouldn't put it completely out the realms of possibility. The other is that they, for each of the variants of concern, that they were seeded again as clones with Jay's reasoning. And uh, um, no, it's it's uh, overfitting to data when you could, it could potentially be described by the natural properties of the virus itself. Um, 
he's portraying himself as open-minded when he's been working to neutralize other theories, etc. Yes, yeah, um, this uh, the, the pretense to objectivity. <laughs> Just it's um, funny, I guess. Hang on, ask Commander Rixie in the chat. Let's uh, <laughs> let's give him a tinkle. Let's do that. Uh, okay. <laughs> Hang on, I should probably use Skype. Let's see. Let me try this. Charles, pick up Zoom. <laughs> let me let me try get uh Charles in here. Come on, come on, Rixie. I smell weakness. <laughs> come on, <laughs> get in here. Give me a yay or a nay. <laughs> Come on, Charles. <laughs> Come on, coax him in, folks. <laughs> there he is. Well, the Rixie, sir. How are you? Uh, you're a little frozen. Let me get the chat out of your face and let me... Just do this. Can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you. Um, I'll probably just turn my, my camera off though. Uh, yeah, the connection isn't super great. Yeah. Hopefully that'll work a little better. All right. Let's have the... <clears throat> Uh, all right. Um, comments, Charles, on, on what we've heard so far? Uh, well, I mean, I'm kind of sickened by the fact that, you know, there's there's a lot of people who, who don't know the background who are hearing JC talk about this and think that he's some sort of uniter. Mm because he's the opposite. And I don't know, that's just my first impression. I don't know how you feel about that. But uh, I, I, I would have, the appeals to um, this being a, a sort of unifying theory between no virus people and I, I, I guess scientists and people like self. You're not a scientist, bro. You're a Marine. Don't forget that. Um. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> You're right. Um, the, the, the appeal to, like I said, in my mind, it was, it was sort of baked in to the original objections to all the Rasmussen's and Warabies, uh vouchers of this world, that this... Recombinant technology was open to abuse. Um, it filled all the criteria of um, extant legislation with respect to biowarfare. Um, the, I guess, I, I, I guess you could say he's being technically correct with how it's presented in the scientific literature in how they do 
many of these experiments. But also keep in mind, I would add to this, they do do live culturing from from patients as well, right? So that they get that as a data point. So, um, I mean, I, I guess the the biggest point of contention here is the the spread that he's arguing for, which, if I was to understand his analogy, you get a plane full of people exposed to clones, and the direction of mutation would be random as that spread from each person to person. And I, I, have to, I have to presume that he's agreeing that there's contagion baked into the clone, which I, I would assume anyway. Yeah, uh, so I want to apologize. My my twin brother is uh, he's cocking up some drywall in a hat, and he's he's finishing a room that's next door to the one that I'm in right now. So if you hear strange swiping noises in the background, it's not. Uh, Sorry, <laughs> well, I don't know what you think it was, but um, well, there's a couple things that that stand out to me. One is that he doesn't understand. Uh, the replication competence issues. Like he, he's literally the only thing he has left is the sequencing, which isn't entirely clear as to okay. Um, but but he's already misinterpreted and and mis um, uh, like pictured the like the accuracy of the sequencing. And so Kevin, right now, I'm sure like what he's trying to do is point out. Hey, this isn't exactly what you're what you're claiming it is, mm -hmm. and the problem is that there's several parts of his theory that aren't exactly like he's claiming that it is. But he's claiming that, and nobody knows the science well enough to be able to to question it. Mm -hmm. And that's really dangerous when scientists. I mean, the, the thing we're fighting right now is when scientists will um, portray something as other than it's not. I mean, that's exactly what they're they're trying to do this week with um, the with raccoon, the raccoon data. dog shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly what they're doing. Yeah. So it, it's not it's not justified when it's you know in, on our side. And the fact that he so he's he's basically gotten Paul Alexander to say, "Oh man, yeah, this is this is great." Um, but, but nobody nobody has looked at the science to actually see if what he's saying is true. And that's concerning. Like nobody's questioning him on that part of it, and they really need to. And he won't talk to us anymore. No. Well, we got that. Uh, we got that email, right? <laughs> Wait. Uh, I don't even remember what the email said. I barely looked at it. Oh God! That argue. I'm not fighting with you. <laughs> I didn't lose your job. Yeah. Shit like that. Know. Yeah, well, um, but, but it's not like it's the only problem, um, because and and crap, I, you actually just said something a minute ago that that I wanted to talk about. I can't remember exactly what it was, but there's several different pieces of this that he that he's he's making claims of. Another one is the evolution after the fact. Okay, so. If there's 
what Kevin McKernan just said, you know, if there's one error, you know, in a million or whatever, like there's only so many more, there's only so much difference between any of these things. So the one implication of that is, okay, well, then why, then why are we treating this that much differently than any other virus? Like, because obviously virus, see, my big question to JC right now, if I could ask him one question, and I can't because I'm not worthy, but if I could, I would ask him, um, what is the difference between a Sarbeca virus, or I'm sorry, just, just, we can go even further. What's the difference between a beta coronavirus and an alpha coronavirus? And just see what he says. And, and why is there a difference? Because, because if they're all going to revert to some mean then, then why is there a difference mm. now, yeah. i just want him to answer that question because that would expose because he can't actually answer that question because then you'd have to actually go back and read the literature and see that there were certain parts of, of the genome that's different for different viruses that are more stable and and less amenable to recombination than others and some that are just they're just not they're just not compatible. So, and yet somehow these coronaviruses that exist in nature continue to persist. Like, like we picked them up HKU whenever it was first discovered, I think 2005 maybe. And we're still picking it up 20 years later in the swarm. So how are we doing that? How are we able to pick up those things when they were discovered 20 years ago? They should all be part of some mean now. Yeah. And he can't answer that. I mean, that's how simple tearing down his his argument is because it's it's not complicated. But but people don't know that. And he's worked very hard to keep us from from like from interacting with us because he doesn't want his listeners to hear that. Yeah. Um and look I, I like I say, I don't. I, there's no disagreement about like release. Um, all all these things that would come under biowarfare. I don't. I don't have any objection to those components. It's the conjecture about the viral biology that is bothering me, and you know the. If his best defense is that DARPA runs GISAID and so they can pump out any any and all sequence data and therefore be part of the illusion. I mean, right. Maybe, maybe. But, you know, the... If you keep finding the same phenomenon like i say i think that asian countries are a good a good example right because japan and I'll, I'll use japan because japan doesn't have any of the confounds things like the lockdown legislation japan didn't lock down japan had very light touch in that respect japan has gone through multiple waves of these variants of concern and the last wave i mean if we're to believe thailand medical it's on the pickup again 
but the the last wave being the most the most destructive and that would that would seem to fly in the face of um jay's idea i guess i guess you could say you're not taking into account the vaccine impact but i i i would say that you know the combination of both are having are causing problems in japan um and i well, I, I, I do agree that japan is it's important to look at japan because they're also less likely to play these bullshit games with sequencing and, mm. and et cetera. And just the fact that, so what well, we've already, we've already answered the, the question, the question that JC doesn't want to answer because replication competence is literally 99% of his argument. Mm. And so if he, if he can't answer well, he, he can't answer the question that I posed oh, because my door, bro. Would... Keep keep chatting. I'll be back. Oh, okay. Um, he can't answer. So, <coughs> good lord. <coughs> wow, that sucks. All right. Well, I did a great job of filling in for Kevin once he left, but. Good Lord. Wow. All right. Anyway. So Japan is a good example because A, they they have a population that's older, they have a population that's healthier. So with, with far fewer comorbidities relative to what we have here in America, for instance. So when you have this, they also have high, um, very high. Yeah, I caught a cologne. I caught a cologne in my throat. <laughs> yeah, I caught, they must be spraying here. They must be spraying more clones in my, my attic. Yeah. Yeah, it's more likely to drive wall dust, but or an infectious clone. So, um, but Japan is both a they're a very good population because they had very high uptake Sorry, of vaccines. Right. They had, Japan had very high adherence to um, social distancing measures and masking measures because they already were yes. socially used to. They did. That. They did. And so they're like the perfect. They're the perfect population to compare with all the BS that's coming out because they have an older population as well. And so without the comorbidities, so whatever is happening in Japan, if it's getting worse, then it, it, it almost can't just be the shot. Um, but I mean, so well, as far as it's excess the combination. Deaths, yes, it can be, but it's the combination of both. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And you're seeing, you're seeing an unfiltered view of what, what is happening here that is being hidden from us. Mm. Yes, uh, I, I would, I would tend to agree with that, and that this is, <clears throat> this is a problem that I'm seeing more and more. You know, particularly those panda cretins, and which, which is they want to fixate on PCR and fixate on lockdowns. 
and those unless yeah. unless the heuristic applies universally it's a it's a limited limited range of hypotheses that you have and you know and it's not just japan the same applies for korea taiwan singapore um and you know i i know singapore no i want to say it's thailand put out birth data for February, and it's well down <clears throat> as well. Now, I, think, I think it was Thailand. I think it was Thailand. I, 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 I want to say it was Thailand. Um, but also last year, Singapore has a crashing birth rate as well. And, you know, again, how can you disambiguate what would be vaccine harm versus the pathogen harm? But I'm wondering... How many how many pregnant people literally offered themselves up for vaccination? Well, why are you asking about pregnant in particular? Because um, I'm trying to I'm trying to think about the neonatal drop off, and you know. The, the... Well, I don't. I actually don't think that it's that it's vaccine. Well, okay. So let me rephrase. Um, there, I actually read something very very recent like in the last 24 hours or so where they were talking about how the, the statistics were manipulated in order to make it seem make covid seem more dangerous for pregnant people so as to increase the amount of uptake by pregnant women and in, in which country the, the u.s uh, well that was in lots of countries but uh, i specifically in the u.s it, it was jicky and jicky's done a great job with a lot of things but Hashtag percentagate. He's kicking up a storm with that one. <laughs> yeah, and and it's ironic because because JC is also or not JC, uh, Jicky is also running up against people who are now like, well, I mean, people have always questioned him, and I've been trying to tell him, hey, you know, <laughs> this infectious clone, like dead end, is it's. It's, it's not the answer, and and we're, we give it too much credence when when we allow it to infect our ideas because they can't prove it, mm. and they won't be able to prove it because of it, literally just that one thing that I just said. So, and but anyway, so Jiggy's starting to run into that now as well, and I've been trying to tell him. But anyway, but but he was really focused on this on this birth stuff, mm. and. It really is sick the way that they they did try to pressure people. But from my understanding, I can't, I can't remember the statistics. I've, I've seen them, but it, it wasn't like there was super oh, high. Hang, hang on, Maples is saying in the chat, don't forget my shit, old guys. Last year we had the lowest births in a decade, and the actual births are lower than what the National Statistics Institute has officially said. Oof, I'm sorry, dude, Maples. That's, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, and Maples, I mean, and he, he is... If I remember correctly, he he's a, a primary care doctor, and yeah, so, he, yeah. so he he knows exactly from, from like a he's seen this, but on a different level. Mm. And so, so I guess it really just depends on which aspect of it you're talking about. I would say that it's most of it's driven by by the shots, but um, but for anybody who was pregnant who did get the shot, um, I imagine that there's a pretty pretty high uh, mm. proportion of those that had complications. I mean, if, if that, um, what's his name? Dr. Thorpe, I forgot his first name. 
the ups that treasure. Jim Jim Thorpe. Jim, maybe? Yeah, yeah. No, not Jim Thorpe. I don't know. But you know who I'm on about. He says he's yeah. Um, and you know his data is very disturbing. And and like I said, I don't, I don't. I, you're not going to get any argument from us about the risks from expressing gene transfecting this um, this particular peptide. And um, you know where where would where would hyperfixating on the inability of a clone to not be able to spread in sort of primary, secondary, and tertiary contacts? Well, it, it does a couple of things. Um, it it, uh, it simplifies it and kind of walls it off and makes it as, as if it, it gives them less credence than they than they deserve the people who created this virus. Um, it makes the threat all about a manufactured threat instead of there being an actual threat. And that's all well and good, except um, he, except he's wrong. And so once you realize that he's wrong about his, his primary um, facet of his argument, then then you're able to look at the entire situation a little more objectively because yes was a lot of this driven by the shots yes it was was it driven by atrogenic uh, behaviors and things that were happening in the hospitals yes it was but they were able to seed it they can if you believe that infectious clones can't propagate then for them to be able to do this they have to go through a lot more effort mm. Whereas the opposite is true. Like if you, I mean, you can take a natural virus and it could spread cause a pandemic. Okay. I mean, H1N1 could do that. Yeah, I mean, if you, I know there's a lot of people who now I think H1N1 could have been from a lab, but, but that doesn't change the overall fact that a billion people more than likely did get infected. With it. Um, and what we should be focusing on is the fact that they could manu that they could manufacture the the virus in the first place, not whether or not it can it can spread according to whatever I design. Because once again, remember that the reason he even went down this road was because he wanted he saw this math problem and he thought he could solve it. And from that simple math problem, he was willing to throw away diffuse and all those other things. Like all the things that I'd gone on to his show about HIV, et cetera, mm. and, and like debut, <clears throat> debuted on his show. Um, and he's not talking about those anymore. And imagine if he had, with all of those people, with Jessica Rose, with Stephanie Sneff, mm. um, with, with all those people right there, so much good could have been done. But instead, he's talking about infectious clones. Mm. And, and literally, if one person on there said, Okay, well, why is there why is there such a thing as a sarbacovirus? He wouldn't be able to answer it, and then he would be exposed. But he doesn't want to do it, so it sucks because then when we get down to this question of okay, what's happening with births and with, with birth rates? Okay, well, he 
his argument would lead you to this place where, okay, well, we can just, well, we just have to stop them from doing these continuous releases and then we'll be okay. No, because, <laughs> because if Omicron still had the dangerous epitopes, it's spreading without them doing anything. It's already out there. It's, it's already spreading around the globe. So if there was a threat to it that came from it, for instance, then we would need to know that. And we would need to know that it was so propagating because otherwise we're just sending people out there and saying, Oh, well, everything's good now because we've put all the bad guys in jail. And that's not, that's not correct. It's just, it's, it's, it's a perfect way to end up with, with, well, I mean, I was, I've postulated that the reason we got Delta that was highly deadly and aerosolized and, and highly replication competent, producing billions of virions, literally thousands of times more than, than the alpha variant. Um, well, we did that because we didn't understand the virus and we used measures that made it worse. The only way that that could have happened is if it could replicate on its own. <laughs> That's the only way. Because otherwise, we can't affect its evolution. So... Well, and you, you've still got to be pumping continuously to get the coverage. That's right. Global coverage that um, we appear to have seen. And again, I would just defer people to countries that are not locked in so hard to NIH, that have, have the technical capacity by themselves. And, you know, the. Like Japan. Yeah, the Asian countries are very, very good for that. Um, Maple says, is JC at Gallo or Duisburg? Duisburg. <laughs> Duisburg, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Just... Um, shall we continue watching? Shall we? I'll, I'll share this. Yeah, screen. sure, yeah. Uh, just continue watching. I'll uh... share this with you. Carry on. It's the only way to study RNA viruses. Yeah, it, indeed, it's it's the storage system. Like everyone puts things in plasmids, stores them, and you can ship them around the world. They're stable. That's that's the way you mail these things around. There's no doubt because it's. Uh... Is is the speed okay for you? Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, it's that it's, it's a high fidelity storage system. We have. Can I ask one more thing before I know I'm taking up too much time? But the EXON gene, which you were saying is a proofreading gene, was also reported by. Um, Barrick and Denison to be responsible for recombination. And yes. I've been wondering if the homology of the N protein, the homology of the RNA-dependent RNA polymerase, but the non-homology of the spike could be that instead of tracking a virus, we should really be thinking about tracking the remainder of this toxic spike as it recombines with other coronaviruses in the swarm. Does that make sense to you at least? Yeah, yeah. so part of the reason they think that evolved is that um, viruses that are this long that don't have recombination, like, typically viruses like the flu have multiple segments of the genome that can recombine, and that, that, that's part of its evolutionary adaptation. Coronaviruses being 30 kb long don't have a recombination capability with the, with the same strain per se. You want them to recombine with something else to get that. And so the Exxon N gene has made it really accurate at a single nucleotide level so they can make a 30 kb piece of RNA. But one of the tricks it evolved is to be able to recombine with other coronaviruses uh, so that it 
it can it can actually accommodate some of what it's missing compared to flu. Um, now I don't I don't know what that means in terms of the swarm theory, other than yeah, um, we, we we may have a harder time tracking that. Uh, you know, the, the the thing to keep in mind is when they when they are doing a lot of this PCR to track uh, all the viral sequences, um, they have like a hundred different primer pairs and they're redundantly tiling the genome, so they should be capturing some of that. I just don't know how effective they're getting it all right. And one more question: Can they can that recombination result in in, in non-infectious particles? Because it's like absolutely, yeah, yeah, I'm sure it does. Yeah, and in fact, I bet most of them are, are dead ends, like you like you like you mentioned. Right. And I also think inside the cell when it's actually churning out all this RNA, um, not all of those are going to end up in a, in a perfect particle with one genome and all the right proteins. You're going to end up with all the shrapnel that's misassembled uh, that has just maybe subgenomic RNA and goes nowhere. Um, so oh, I just don't know that if you put an infectious clone into a cell that it does anything different. I think, in fact, I think you you need those genes to be expressed at different levels to get proper assembly of the, of, of the, the virus because it's not like one spike protein per one DNA. It's like a hundred to a thousand spike proteins per one piece of, of, R, of RNA genome. So it needs to have that imbalance of expression in order to build the capsid correctly. I see. Uh, but I doubt. So that's that's a very good point, but. Um, Kevin raises and sort of takes um, another leg out from Jay's argument, which is his thinking that replication incompetent just means that these are um, it's trash, and I I would be very very careful about dismissing the biological utility of flooding the system with these sub RNAs the um, right. Peptides that are competent. Yeah. There's all the bits and pieces. And they're still biologically active and can contribute to the disease process. Right? They, they work to seed the ground for more competence to emerge with respect to the, the virus's Darwinian goals, I guess, for want of a better expression. I think Kev made a, a good point there. Dude. Yeah, well, he did make a good point. And what's sad is that there's like a 99% chance that no one's going to point out what you just put out as we move forward. But we'll just keep watching. Out that is 100% efficient where it's putting these all together like an assembly line and doesn't leave any parts aside. I bet, it, I bet it's somewhat random and builds some, some just, you know, uh, some uh, unproductive um, variants, as you say. Oh, thank you. Awesome. I, I, I'm really happy. Thank you, guys. All right, you guys, Kevin, it's, it's you, me, and Mark. And since you were talking a lot, do you mind if I go to Mark? No, back? you guys go. He's got a different time thing, too. Let him go. Yeah. All right, Mark, are you ready to talk for a little while? Sure. Um, do I, can I share my screen? Yeah, absolutely. I think it should be turned on for you. Okay, let me see how that's going to work. Um... This dude. <laughs> Learn what bolus is, Creighton. And again, we're, we're casual. Oh, yeah. I feel bad I didn't tell Stephanie that at the beginning. She was going so fast. Okay, but... so are you seeing... Yes. Okay, great. Okay, so um, uh, as an introduction, I haven't written papers, Jessica, uh, but I've, I've written a, a, a lot of stuff on, on, on COVID, on my uh, COVID newsbuster. Uh, you can go to it. There's about 40 articles uh, in a variety of topics. Um, I'm going to try and be... Uh, the, the main points, really, um, is I, I've developed a theory on uh, adverse events, um, and uh, based on that theory, we, I, I, uh, I have come to the conclusion that we've been harming the populations for decades. Um, that is just surfacing now because of the numbers that we've been seeing. But uh, fundamentally, when you look at vaccine adverse events, they're always similar. They always do the same thing. Uh, that's one point, which is very, very strange. So what's the commonality has been one of my questions. Uh, the other uh, element is not... See, he speaks in absolutes here that I just don't think are warranted, are always similar. Mm, are they? Well, <laughs> yeah. And, and I've, I've said many times that... You know, the point that it brings up is valid, and I'm sure that it does contribute to 
mm-hmm. the overall volume of of adverse events that comes from vaccinations, especially when you're not checking for um, aspiration. Mm-hmm. However, he, the fact that he t- he goes from that to basically blaming the bolus for everything from breaking the blood brain barrier to causing all the neurodegenerative issues that we see mm. to everything else. I mean, it's, it's not all of those things. It's an important part of a vaccine adverse events like injuries that going back decades, but it is not, that's not the end all be all. Mm. Yes. Um, agreed. Not everybody is harmed by these vaccines. We need to, you know, I acknowledge that in the very, very beginning. And, and therefore, some, it has to be some kind of combination of things. The, the vaccines, um, I've done some work on, on, on the numbers, et cetera, could not really, uh, the dosing has been done right, in my opinion. Now, I developed this uh, bullet theory, which is a framework around IV-induced pathologies. Basically, my major um, hypothesis has been that uh, we've been in- injecting intravenously by accident. And the reality of it um, is that's a fact. There's multiple elements that prove that. The, uh, the fact that it's co- the, the, the types of, of uh, first of all, people are feeling the taste. Uh, the fact that, for example, uh, uh, CD4, uh, CD8, um, uh, CD8s are starting to uh, to express uh, PD1, for example, which is a, a sign of exhaustion, uh, etc. And so, uh, clearly, uh, a highly concentrated dose of forming material. What's really interesting with the Bose theory is it's not limited uh, to COVID vaccines. It applies to most of the vaccines as well as to venom, B venom. Uh, it applies to uh, um, fillers, uh, you know, plastic surgeon fillers have, are having exactly the same uh, uh, adverse events. And, and the whole problem is it, triggers, it can trigger two different things. One is um, irreparable damage to the endothelium, and another one, um, on when it transfects immune-privileged stem cells and progenitors, it can actually trigger cancer. Um, now, the one thing that I want to emphasize is that IV injections of COVID vaccines and of pseudoviruses have been proven to be toxic when they're injected in, in um, intravascularly, and they trigger the exact same symptoms that we've been seeing. Okay, that's, so basically, um, that's one point. The other point is accidental IV injection is very common. There is multiple research showing that, uh, notably for steroids. I found at least three or four studies that show that with aspiration, 2% of the shots are going intravascular, 2%, meaning that if you are not aspirating, if you are not using experienced nurses, you could be up to, uh, above 5%, okay? Um, and, and protocols for these vaccines is an intramuscular uh, injection. So fundamentally, we know that a huge number of shots are off protocol. You know, it's like us um, realizing that for the past five years, 5% of the pilots are not certified, and they're, you know, fl- and they're planes crashing every day. Except, in my opinion, we've probably killed m- much more people with this than, than we would have killed with 5% uh, um, planes uh, you know, crashing. Um, so possibly 670 million people have had injection off protocol, and about 130 million are going to have, about 20% are going to have more severe doses and more severe problems. Uh, I'll just add, all, all those figures are just conjecture. <laughs> um, and that's really in line with uh, what we're seeing in terms of adverse events. Um, and what's crazy is all this could be stopped with a combination of very simple policies. One is aspiration, which Germany, Hong Kong, and Denmark have, have undertaken. They've reinstated aspiration, but also, because aspiration is not enough, uh, very slow injection. So, very, I mean, I, you can go to, to see uh, John, my intervention on, on uh, John Campbell last week, uh, which had quite a few views. Um, I'm going to go to, uh, this is the proof that uh, intravenous, um, accidental intravascular injection is common. Uh, there's multiple studies here, other studies showing it. Fundamentally, I believe it's around 5% when you're not aspirating. 
The fundamental dynamic, what people do not realize, is when you inject this intravenously or intravascularly, uh, you actually get an, uh, a concentration at, at, at a surface level, which is 4,000 times higher. And so if you have, you know, whenever you're transfecting one cell, which is not a problem because all the cells around it can replicate, well, when you have that, you're going to have 4,000 cells or, or 3,000 cells or 2,000 cells are going to be transfected at the same moment. That's irreparable, right? That's the, it's like a direct gunshot to the endothelium. It's very different to an IM uh, injection, which is the, 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 the graph you see on the left, which is more of like a bulletproof vest concept where, of course, you're destroying tons of endothelium, but one cell at a time, and it causes no problem. Uh, now, I would beg to differ about uh, intramuscular causing no problem there. Um, just... <laughs> Any, anyone who's worked hands-on with drugs and um, blood draws, etc., um, <laughs> surgeries, the all muscle is highly perfused, yeah. and it's still you're still getting a bolus. It might diffuse a little slower, um, but if it wasn't the case, then you know. Joy joy compounds like uh, ketamine wouldn't uh, wouldn't work. Well, yeah, I mean, I've had, I had pancreatitis several times. I, uh, I've experienced injected well, all sorts of injected stuff, including you know morphine and mm. a lot of and and really what happens is that um, you always get you always get something and. I, you're right with the intramuscular. Just, but for me, you know, the real problem with the intramuscular thing is that it, it kind of defeats the entire purpose of of trying to vaccinate against something to begin with, because you're bypassing the immune barrier, mucosal barrier. So basically, you're you're risking this bullet, or you're risking anything, any adverse thing that could come from the vaccine, and getting much less of the benefit or it's a circuitous route for your immune system to to actually react and give you what you want to, to provide so it's like a double whammy of just stupid i agree and um maples in the chat says that guy clearly knows almost nothing about microcirculation and pharmacokinetics um I'm not going to disagree there, Maples. I'm going to pass. This is this is to show you what's most likely happening. You know, people are thinking it can't happen. Well, partial injection is possible. Actually, you're seeing some studies are showing that there's transfection both in the arm and in the heart, right, in in, in a bolus fashion. So that can only happen with a, a partial injection like that. I'd like to, to share this. No, <laughs> I disagree. Um, intramuscular will still still impact the vasculature of the heart. Which is the, the the fundamentals of it? I'm, gonna, I'm not going to talk about anaphylaxis, but anaphylaxis in the 1930s was known not as uh, an allergic reaction, but as an intravascular injection. Okay, we just changed it and relabeled it nicely. But fundamentally, there's four pathologies that are proven. Well, that's that's because anaphylaxis can come from many many different um, routes. It doesn't. It's not just dependent on uh, intravenous exposure. You can eat something. And get anaphylaxis. I mean, as I recall, uh, you know, my son who's allergic to eggs uh, didn't need to get injected with, you know, egg proteins to be allergic to it. So, yeah, I do wonder what his logic is there. Mm. 
and has all the data to, to uh, you know, to, to, to show that this is real. And what it does, what you have is, depending on the density of the bullets, where it hits, it's going to have arterial rupture aneurysm and white clots. If it's slightly more diffuse and slightly uh, more downstream, you're going to have thrombosis and thrombocytopenia. And when that gets to the organ, you get organ clotting, necrosis, and organ failure. Now, there's a there's two other pathologies which I think are, are really very important. One is endothelium and blood tissue barrier leakage. And basically, it's again, you're, you're, you're disseminating the hits and you're drilling holes into the endothelium in the blood tissue barrier. And that is starting all, most of the, the illnesses, long-term illnesses that we've been seeing. Dementia, Parkinson's, sterility, milk poisoning, um, um, endocrine disorders, you name it. Okay, it's all there. Yeah, now, the, yeah. the, the, my last realization, and I've been telling you. You're gonna interrupt. <laughs> I was just saying, there he goes. Because uh, so, his, his argument is that all that neurodegenerative stuff comes from, you know, the bolus um, punching holes right. in the brain barrier or the whatever other layers of barriers there are that separate the various pieces of the nervous system from the immune system, mm. which is, yeah. Yeah, don't, I, I think I don't think anybody tell him not. about vagotomy and uh, its effects on Parkinson's. I guess. I really wish you were there, though. I really do wish you'd been part of this conversation because. Oh, I'd just be I'd be smacking most of them up the side of the Dr. head, Doctor Seneff. <laughs> but like, like she, she knows her stuff, but that doesn't mean that she would have been better for this particular topic than than you mm. would have been. Mm. Um, and so it is. It is frustrating. Yeah. Well. Um, I'm a persona non grata, dude. Too, uh, too mean. Too mean to everyone. Me too. <laughs> you guys for two years, and notably Stephanie, I've been telling you guys, there is no way these cells are surviving because they are expressing on the MHCs of some elements of the spike, and they're all going to get destroyed by the immune system. And that's the first four, first, actually the pathology two to five. But I had forgotten some very special cells. And those cells, if they get transfected, it's a disaster. Why? Because they're stem cells, they're progenitor cells, and they're immune privilege. And because and that would still happen with uh, intramuscular exposure. Sorry, sorry. We we know this. This is from um, Moderna's work early on. They showed lipid nanoparticle going to bone marrow, etc. So, again, dropping everything onto bolus, or quote-unquote, the Giraudot bolus into blood vessels is short-sighted, in my opinion. Because they're immune privileged, they will not get destroyed by the immune system, despite the fact that we've tinkered with their intracellular working. And when you look at what's happening, um, well, of course, what's going to they're, they're highly high replication cells, these stem cells and progenitor cells. And what's really, really interesting is when you start looking at the, the, the cancers that they would be starting, and that's you know basically lymph, you know uh, lymphatic cancers, blood, blood cancers, uh, and, and all of that. The, the the four pathologies in the middle are, are completely proven. The the cancer is, I would say, is mechan mechanically very logical and makes a lot of sense and seems to be. Um, uh, completely in line with what we're seeing with those turbo cancers and, and, and all of that. Um, fundamentally, also the bolus uh, severity will depend on um, you know the dose you're having. That's why fundamentally Moderna, which is, has a dose which is four times that of, of Pfizer, is going to be much bigger. It's very natural that you would have uh, more a larger bolus, higher bolus, and longer bolus, and therefore it'll transfect in all sorts of different ways. What I think is really interesting and new in the bolus theory is is those the, the last box, which is really all the illnesses that are coming from 
blood tissue barrier uh, leakage, either in or out. Okay, so of course, if you um, and, and and notably brain and neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's, NSI, Huntington, autism. <laughs> I might beg to differ there, but um, that's just me. <laughs> I've worked with them all my life. Um, I don't know how much time I have left. Um, the, of course, the immune attacks have been proven. Um, yes, T cells are attacking both CD4s and CD8s. Um, the, the typology or the topology of the wounds um, are going to make them uh, transient or not, um, and some are irreparable, notably in the blood bone marrow barrier, which requires extremely tight um, um, endocellular uh, linkage. Um, there is, thank God for PEG, actually, PEG, I, I, you know, everybody's been bitching about PEG. I think PEG, without PEG, we would be in a much, much worse situation because actually what PEG does is it, 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 it enables some degree of dilution before activation of, um, of, the, um, of the nanoparticles. Um, and, and therefore, there's the window, you have to realize that the window is about 30 seconds, okay? Between, between 30 seconds and 50 seconds, that this is when the damage is occurring. Um, what you're seeing here is when it's intravenous, the PEG will actually uh, um, uh, wear off in, in, the, in, in the lungs and, and start transfecting the aorta the, and, and potentially the, 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 the organs. If you're unlucky and you actually get an intra-arterial one, it, you, you'll, the peg will rub off before, and it'll hit your, your most likely will hit your, your lungs. Um, the aorta hitting is, is very simple. What you have is you have a, a let's say a coin size hit of about 60,000 uh, lipid nanoparticles uh, hitting uh, T cells uh, and NKs attack that. And after that, what you have is the once the endothelium layer is actually stripped, what you have is the um, the uh, smooth muscle layer decays because it's not supposed to over time over four or five months, leaving then the elastin. Or to create either an aneurysm to rupture or those white clots that we've been seeing, which are most likely um, crystallization of um, um, uh, what's it called? Yeah, um, uh, crystallization or whatever. Um, and <laughs> crystallization of what? Girardot. We uh, the evidence is pointing towards uh, amyloid cascades, and uh, bolus doesn't explain that. What if it's a nanobot bolus? Ah, uh, right. I hadn't taken that into account. Point taken. Come okay, on, Rexy. I'm glad I'm here. <laughs> and this is exactly what you're seeing here, okay? Uh, the type of damage you're seeing and that white clot, that, that white clot you're seeing there. Now, one uh, really interesting um, insight I've, I discovered recently is why thrombosis? And the big question I had was, how come these people over four or five months who are getting those hits are not getting thrombosis? And why do people who are not getting ruptures are getting thrombosis? Okay? And, and, um, and the reality of it is, if, is instead of saying, um, you know, it's... it's, it's uh, uh, it's antibodies because it's actually proven that it's the body, you know, the, the immune system is actually well calibrated and it's not actually creating auto uh, antibodies that actually trigger coagulation factor. Uh, what you're what the, the, the most evident um, uh, solution is that the bordering endothelial cells, the, 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 the endothelial cells that are bordering the wounds are actually signaling more, um, uh, more coagulation factor. And that's, that's a geometric reason. And the reason for that is simply that when you have a, a, a hole about of a centimeter hole in the aorta, you will have about uh, three centimeters worth of endothelial cells, you know, sending a signal, right? But if those same 60,000 uh, NLPs actually spread out in a thousand holes, they will actually transfect a 10 meter, um, 10 meters of cuts through the, through, through the vascular system. And therefore they will produce, uh, sorry, a meter, sorry, not 10 meters, a meter. Uh, and they will produce 32 times the coagulation factor. We've never evolved. You know, our bodies have never evolved to do that, to, to, to compensate for that. The, in, the coagulation inhibitors that we're producing 
are nowhere near that. Remember, even the when you get that kind of, of, of a, 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 a huge um, um, hole in your artery, you, you, you're probably you know triggering a ton of, of coagulation factor. But 32 times, or potentially 200 times that, is impossible. And that's why we're seeing those thrombosis. Here's here's a simulation. You can have you know if if, if, if the topology of your holes is like 200, if you have 2,500 holes, you're going to have 50 times the coagulation factor. And no wonder you're you know you're actually coagulated and you're having thrombosis. It makes complete sense. There's nothing you know I you know it's it, it's completely clear. Now obviously, if if uh, if the clotting goes to um, further downstream or if some of the clotting uh, goes into into the into the organs, you're going to have inflammation, clotting, necrosis, and organ failure. And we've been seeing that all over in the brain, the heart, the intestines, the kidneys, the liver, the pancreas. Um, of course, it's it's uh, and just <laughs> whilst he's whilst he's engaged in his gishkalov right there, um, uh, all those necrosis coagulation disorders are there with SARS as well and you know you can't you can't remove the role of the expressed peptides in in this equation which he seems to be doing I would argue if it's again the hyper focus on bolus of lipid nanoparticles like you say important but well he ignores there's a to me there's a much bigger factor that is far more explanatory when it comes to most of the well most of the longer term concerns which is the fact that the spike protein is toxic which we already know but when you're infected with the virus versus being injected with the mrna spike protein the mRNA spike protein is somewhere between 10 and 100 times more at once of the spike protein versus, I want to say it's like 13 billion or something versus like 750 million at any given time during infection. So, and, and, and that's not including the part where for some indeterminate time, your cells, are going, many of your cells are going to be reproducing these things. So just that mere effect alone of all that toxin is going to cause issues above and beyond what what would be the bolus. Mm. I wonder if he's going to bring up the studies that have free spike and the association with myocarditis. Probably not. Mm. But, okay. and, but <laughs> troll through this. <laughs> you, know, you know, actually, there's. I, I don't know. I don't know if you know this or not. Um, and because I've recently discovered that a lot of people don't know this, but. Um, Ralph Barrick, one of his first, one of his first coronavirus um, bits of research, dealt with a rabbit coronavirus oh, that COVID. causes myocardial problems. Yeah, yeah from the me. early nineties. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I wonder. Well, don't look at that data. Doesn't fit, Charles. <laughs> yeah. So. You're not a scientist. Knock it off. I know. Bring bring up all those studies and shit. My apologies. How dare you? It's a, it's, it's a lot of it. You know, it's, it's like the IP packets. They can go to wherever you you know, depending on how much you get, how, how much of the dose you get in, and at what time and how it flows. Um, it's it's really a, a Russian roulette. What's what's really interesting though is the blood tissue barrier leakage. I'm sorry, I'm probably over time, um, but I'm running through this thing. What's really interesting is, is, is to consider that a lot of the illnesses that we have seen in the past could be or actually are related to blood tissue barrier leakage, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, serotonin syndrome, SIADH, Cushing's disease, 
ADHD, tinnitus, sterility, low sperm counts, all of that is actually very well explained by the permeability or the permeabilization of the endothelium in those different organs. Um, I would like to, my last point is to realize that, um, that you know, there's studies that have shown that uh, neurodegener neurodegenerative disease are um, entirely due to leakage of the endothelium or the blood-brain barrier, okay? Now, I mean, it can be a big factor. Um, doesn't have to be all the factors. Again, his his uh, his resort to absolutes is uh, frustrating. I guess. I mean, I, I I was literally I did uh, streams with with uh, JC where we were making fun of this mm. of the absolutes, and then that's exactly what he's doing now with his mm. infectious quotes. Mm. Yeah. And like I say, all all I would say to people listening is, um, who's who's drilling you down quicker to the scientific ground truth, and who's engaging in what aboutism? Better expression. All right, uh, maybe he's maybe thankfully he's about to finish. <laughs> and, and therefore, um, and the explosion of um, uh, of uh, Alzheimer's per se. Uh, these past 20 years is is most likely related to that to the fact that we've been vaccinating farming the the, the blood barrier of, um, of millions of people and that these people are okay um you know i'm, I'm not afraid of amyloids because i believe that the immune system corrects for amyloids <laughs> good luck with that your age you'll be uh you'll be uh building them up well he's not afraid so i guess as long as he's not vaccinated he should be good right what douche. We have antibodies that are anti-amyloids. The problem is when your immune system starts decaying, becoming senescent, the amyloids are not being that are accumulating are not being mopped away by the immune system. And so as you age, you could have had a, a leak that started 20 years ago, but your immune system is actually corrected for that. And as you start aging and your, your vitamin D levels are going down and, 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 and therefore you have these amyloid accumulation that occurs. And I believe that unfortunately um, that is the most probable um, disease that we're going to see explode in the coming years. Thank you. Um, I would I would agree that we're going to see, well, we already are seeing ramps up in um, neurodegenerative issues. But again, um, he's not taking into account all the known mechanisms. And you know, a lot of the known mechanisms involve retrograde transport up um, axons. And um, to ignore that is to um, ignore a large, large body of experimental and clinical literature. Well, he's actually ignoring an even bigger, more basic point, which is that um, if that was the case, because this is, uh, it's hard, it would be harder to tell, I guess, in with the U.S. population, because we are so heavily vaccinated, but um, the the incidence of cancer and, and neurodegenerative diseases that we're seeing as are going sigma levels up. Mm. Um, yes, it's occurring with the vaccination, but the vaccination has stopped. And there's a lot of people who didn't get vaccinated. Um, and, and there's just a, there's this disconnect between <clears throat> Man, now, now my, 
this is a really good thought when I was thinking it in my head, but it just, just the math doesn't add up the way that he, that would it be explainable simply by this problem because we're not doing anything drastically different with our injections. Mm. So, so the actual the methodology of injection isn't changing, but yet it's only after these vaccines that we're seeing these, these exponential rises in these categories. So right off the bat, if it was all this time, this bolus concept explaining everything, then we would have seen these neurodegenerative uh, sigma rises prior to 2021, and we didn't. So right off the bat, that, that means that it can't be the primary ex explanation for what's happening. It just can't be. Right. Um, just my own two non, that's my non-scientific like, <laughs> thought there, but whatever. How dare you? How dare me? <laughs> the, um, there's the issue around Anna Burkhardt's work as well, which has shown that there's amyloid buildup around these issues and you can't you can't just dismiss that and say well if, if there was a functioning immune system um that wouldn't be there wouldn't be an issue now it, you know obviously we would want high fidelity animal studies to really sort of drill down into that question but again i, I don't i want high fidelity infectious clones <laughs> uh, they're easy you just order those yeah. All right. Sophie's finishing. Thanks, Mark. Um, it's funny because the crew here has, has heard um, a lot of this before, and I read your stuff. So, as far as questions, I, I do you guys have any? Because I, I I've got one that uh, I haven't asked before, and Mark knows all the other ones I have asked and has addressed them pretty well in the okay. past. But this one is when, when you when you bring up um, you know, immune privileged cells. Um, I guess the question a lot of people have is, do you even need the immune system to create this carpet bonding effect? I mean, won't the transfection alone um, be cytotoxic to some cells if, if the LMPs actually are bigger than, than described? Like they, they claim they're 200 nanometers, but I don't believe that they stay 200 nanometers. I think they form syncytia, they get larger over time. And then you start, you start having those transfect cells and the cells, you know, you can't transfect a million cell with a very large LMP because the surface area of the volume of the cell doesn't support it anymore once the, once the LMP merges with the cell. Uh, so eventually, you, if, you, if the LMPs get too big, they become, uh, you know, kill spots without any spike protein involved at all, uh, I would imagine. In which case, they could damage even like i'm trying to think through um edge cases here like imagine immunocompromised patient right they, they don't have the immune system maybe to go after and kill everything where these things land that, that display spike but i bet if you just did blanks if you if you injected blanks these lmps would, would land on cells and kill them uh and particularly if they if they clump and get big yeah i, I well I, I i agree that's that's the first theory that for me that's the anaphylactic role I, I agree with you there uh if but you would need to saturate the space um uh and and, and i think that some of that is happening even though it does look that you know some people are having anaphylactic crisis without having problems after which would tend to, to, to think that yeah. probably, you know, the, the, the NLPs aggregated together, block something, and then, you know, yeah. slowly, and there's no transfection that occurred. Um, could, I mean, there, there could be several, a couple reasons for anaphylaxis. I mean, there could be endotoxin in these things as well, for all we know, and, and that could be manifest itself differently than... Yeah, but I, I mean, the, the speed at which uh, the, the onset of symptoms, um, you know, are, are, are most likely, you know, are not happening because T cells are attack, attacking like crazy. It's most likely some kind of saturation level that's happening. Now, I'm not so sure. Immune privileged cells is a completely different beast, right? For me, the, 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 the analogy I've been using is... Um, is is sand in the gasoline, right? The the problem that we have here is when when you transfect, and frankly, I don't know what these vaccinologists have been thinking. Most likely that you would never hit them. And it's I, I was just telling John the other day. I, I do think that the bolus um, will increase the probability because bolus makes the the transfection much more effective. You get much more transfection, and therefore you're going to have more cancers. But clearly, the fact that we would send 
uh, 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 an mRNA that actually copies a, a virus, right? And, and viruses, when they enter those immune stem cells, those immune privileged stem cells and progenitors, they create cancer, right? Because they're, they're right. We don't really know what happens there, but we know that they're either going to insert themselves into into the um, into the nucleus. They're going to strip away some, you know, some back, some some cancers. You, you've lost some uh, some DNA. Some cancers you've you've gained some DNA. Some cancer you've actually have two nucleuses, etc. Um, and, and I think what's, you know, for people to understand what, what's, what the, um, why I believe this, this cancer generation is real is because I, I fundamentally those, those stem cells are at the, at the summit of a pyramid, right? And they cascade down and to, to the cells that are either as regenerative cells or as blood cells or as immune cells. And, and therefore what you're doing is you're actually pouring sands, uh, you know, at the refinery directly, right? That's, 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 that's exactly, that's the definition of cancer. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Hey, um, Kevin, do you mind if I go next? I have a oh, reason. Go for it. Yeah, because um, I think that I, I really want to hear, uh, you're going to do your latest findings, right? Oh, yeah, I can go through the, the recent sequencing stuff. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I really want to hear that. Like, I think we're going to finish off. The whole thing's going to finish talking about that. So I'll just okay. get my stuff out of the way. All right, get, go for it. I'm gonna, I'll be right back. All right, cool. <clears throat> All right. So I'm not a biologist, not a virologist, not even a doctor, not nothing like that. I just have data. I got um, 500,000 death certificates in Massachusetts, unredacted. It's the most robust unredacted data set in the world outside of government. I don't know how I got it. I mean, we asked for it. There's a team reality group in Massachusetts. We asked for it. We got it. It was one of seven different things we asked for. It's the only one we got. And it's it's robust. So I asked some people to take a look at it. Um, Joel Smalley did a good job within a couple of days. And then um, I wanted more. I wanted more from it. So I started looking at it myself and started writing code. And I'll just give you the end story. And that is 2020 was a year of excess respiratory deaths. Pneumonia, COPD, ARDS, everything to do with respiratory was in very much excess in 2020. And then in 2021, on a year boundary, everything changed. Not only did the excess deaths change from respiratory to circulatory and blood, but also the age profile changed from 81.3, roughly, um, to six, around 65 year over year. So you have people dying from different things at a much younger age. And then it's like, when are they dying? Okay, during the, I get the yearly totals. So, so I'm looking at daily, and then I do a curve smoothing, seven-day rolling average. And I see, when are people dying? And you know, I'm in New England. I'm in Boston. So more people die in the winter than the summer. And if you look at it, it follows the, the temperature curve for the year, which is a sine wave. So the... the uh, total deaths in a year in Massachusetts, where I am, is also a sine wave. It follows the temperature. Um, there are seasonal triggers. <clears throat> COVID followed the seasonal trigger exactly. I was listening to a uh, very well-known guy, and he said, you know, COVID's not seasonal. I'm like, what are you talking about? I, I don't know. Um, I, I, I would argue that it's not seasonal, <clears throat> and it's current. I mean, um, you could argue that well, it came at the end of a flu season i guess but we... uh, well it, it wasn't in the beginning so this is this is one of the problems when you when you start like make, making absolute conclusions and not really looking at the data because when you when you say that it's an infectious clone that can't spread well you're absolutely right because a pandemic virus when it is released because it is because of all these various factors it's not going to be seasonal and by the way covid-19 was not seasonal in the beginning there is some argument about whether or not seasonal now i would say that if we were actually tracking the actual cases now i would say that it is um, mostly because i believe that you know the xbb crap very like variants are meaningless at this point because this is we're talking about common cold variants. Mm. The only thing that's special about this virus is is the fact that it's it still retains portions of 
the the highly antigenic spike that has all these problematic uh, epitopes on it. So, but in 2020, one, one of the reasons I was able to make such accurate projections of, of something, <laughs> it was actually real, uh, which I obviously believe it was, the reason I was able to do that is because I, I went back to historical flu records and I saw like typical things. And then I looked at H1N1, which was the last novel influenza uh, from 2009, that is. And that's exactly what we saw. We So unless you believe that this was a hundred year um, Scooby-Doo, then what we're looking at follows the trends in as much as um, 2009 and in 2020, both saw um, sustained spread that happened outside of the normal flu season. And one of the, one of the graphics that I made was it, it counted up. It was a pie chart that counted, that looked at all 101 years since uh, the 1918 flu summer and, and counted up all of the flu deaths during that entire century's worth of time, and and now granted, I had to I had to extrapolate backwards, starting I think from from seventy six, but I basically just took an average and it was proportional to the population, went backwards in time, following that, and basically more people died of some respiratory illness or iatrogenicide or whatever in 2020 during the summer four month period that's outside the flu season than in the previous 101 years combined. And then there were actual excess deaths as well. So that's not an infectious clone that can't spread um, because it followed very closely uh, what we saw in 2009, but this was deadlier. This was at least, I want to say 50 times deadlier than H1N1. And I say that because H1N1 was, 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 was way weaker than the average flu. People don't realize this, but it was. And so even if COVID was whatever it was, it was still probably 40 to 50 times what I, is what I calculated. And so what you saw was it followed a very similar H1N1 track. It was somewhat more transmissible. So when we got to Dude, the winter, it was a lot more. Keep, keep going. Do you want me to play the video? Oh. No, no, no. It's okay. It's okay. Keep, keep um, talking, bro. <laughs> Give me a second. Yeah, okay. So, so what we saw is that when we got to October first, and we we look back at how many cases there were, there there were already more cases than there had been for H one N one, and H one N one emerged, I think, in in March. So it had a little bit of a head start. COVID did, but the bottom line is is that it followed a very natural trend in terms of spread that would be really, really hard to simulate if you were just releasing clones globally and, and in the United States. Um, it just, it literally makes no sense when you look at the actual data because the amount of effort they would have had to go into to make it appear as as though it was a novel influenza, but not have it be naturally 
spreading would just be insane. And this is, I mean, this is in addition to the fact that we already, pro we've we have proven um, genetically tracked um, the spread at various events, like an indoor church recital where they were able to see, okay, starting with one person, they knew who the index case was, and then they watched it genetically spread at this event. Uh, this thing was a, a church, uh, just choir recital. And from that one thing, they, they were able to say, okay, now, because of X, Y, and Z, they were, and the conditions in which this occurred, they could not have been fomite spread or droplet spread. It had to be aerosol spread. So unless they were literally, unless, unless the infectious clone Scooby-Doers were literally at this church, this random church in Washington state, um, then that was the virus infectious clone that was spreading without assistance. So that is just one more in a billion examples of why I've continued to see both the data that I was looking at in the first year of the pandemic and everything that's happened since and all the proof of the aerosol spread that we saw and the evolutionary rates that we see are much better explained by other factors like the virus trying to, to escape, trying to, sh to, to kick off these mutations that were inserted from the variable loops, not just infectious clones that were re released um, always artificially. It, it, it defies common sense. It, it just really does. Yeah, you, you just have to bite down on a whole slew of assumptions if you're going down deliberate every everything is deliberate spread of a clone it it boxes you in and leaves leaves you open to the well you know how many people do you need to go seeding the planet that's not insignificant i would imagine <laughs> right like even the point is, is that he tries to argue that this is, it's all a shame, and so that's how you simplify it. Mm. But it's not simple. It's actually far more complicated because they would have had to basically fabricate everything and all the data. But the, the data was coming from 100,000 different sources around the world, so they couldn't fabricate all of that. Mm. Well, it was that and, DARPA with their control of yeah. GISAID. Right, or 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 the virus can spread, and if you say that, then you can ignore all of this other bullshit. Yeah, it's so. it's it's a case of like, are, are you really willing to go into a courtroom and try to argue the case that viruses don't spread and maintain well, we swarm to, we, coherence? We have to get a hold of these people and tell them, hey, look, just, we we have to. We need a debate, and that's the problem. Is he doesn't want to debate? He's yeah. literally one of the Zunati at this point. Yeah, yeah. Because a debate would clear this right up. Yep, very much so. All right, let's see. But, uh, I mean, I, I don't know. We can we, we can probably skip Jean Baudouin since we already. I can already tell you what he's 
what his video is about. I mean, okay. if you don't, you don't know, if you don't already know, he's gone through all the death certificates in Massachusetts over like a one or two year period. And so he's been able to quantify, um, like and temporally connect everything from a variety of different uh, symptoms and, and different causes of death that can be clearly tied to the vaccines. And, um, and he's done an excellent job. And like, it's, it's no shit proof that you can take to a courtroom. So the kind of proof that you're talking about mm. that you just mentioned, his stuff is that quality, mm. but he, he's also, um, he's also, he's willing to go down this, this rabbit hole. Um, and, and it's just, it's just, it's going to be detrimental in the long run, which is why I've, I've questioned it the entire time because it's, it's not a harmless um, assertion. It comes with, it has damaging consequences to what we're trying to do. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, well, I have seen him before, so let's, let's get to yeah. Kev's data, which. Yeah. That's the stuff I really want to hear. And um, I think what you found, uh, the, the summary is awesome. All right, I'll, I'll try and walk you guys through um, some of the details that's in the sub stack. I didn't put together slides, so I'll just have to go off of what's up there, and then folks have questions, I can try to try to address them. But uh, let me say, wait, he didn't make a PowerPoint. What type of scientist is he? Wow. Shame on you, Kev. He's not a scientist. <laughs> we need JC to explain to us. Right, we need his PowerPoints. <laughs> One PowerPoint to rule them all. I have to share a screen, I suppose. Um, let me go there. Um, yeah, let me do that first. I'll probably have to bounce around to a couple of screens, but we'll start there. Uh, looks like you've got this, this one here. All right, so um, we do a lot of genomic sequencing here in the ag space, uh, a lot of RNA sequencing and DNA sequencing. We're, we're generally doing stuff on, um, uh, on medicinal plants like cannabis. Uh, so we were, we were sequencing uh, to try to sort out an infection that's going on in the cannabis industry. So it's a hoplene viroid. We're doing a lot of RNA sequencing, and it wasn't working. I, I ran into some type of bug and, and uh, was looking for some RNAs to sort this out. I needed to... Basically, if, uh, what was happening when, when in sequencing RNA, you want to see stuff line up on genes in the genome. And when they don't line up in genes, you know something's wrong, uh, that your, your process for getting the RNA is broken. And so that was happening to me. And I asked some, some friends, hey, send me some RNAs. I need polydelate RNAs to debug this. And so these vials show up in the mail, which was a welcome thing because I've been eager to try and sequence these. I've just never had a good reason uh, to do it, per se. And I was like, okay, this is a two for one. I can probably debug what's going on. So I can't tell you this. They're polydentylated and they do work with polydentylated capture kits because we see, when we sequence these, we've got like a million fold coverage on these, uh, on these vaccines. Um, uh, so that allows us to look at them a little bit deeper. Um, so there's a, there's a blog here on, my, uh, on Substack that can walk you through um, how to uh, purify DNA out of these things and then how to sequence them. Now, the first thing you usually do when you get an isolated nucleic acid is you run it on an Agilent tape station. To, it's, like, it's like a gel, an electrophoresis system that tells you its size and all the species that are in there. And uh, these are bivalent. So these haven't been run before. We've seen some of these uh, block gates from, from Jiki and, and, and Jessica's work um, looking at some of the TGA's data and the EMA's data on this. And the concern is there's always these humps. Um, we weren't really seeing this hump before. See if I can zoom in on that. Uh, we were seeing mostly humps in the front end of this, uh, and it's presumably truncated RNA, and, and who knows, maybe something else. But we wanted sequencing to tell us what it is. It was a little bit worse on Pfizer. There's more of a tail on Pfizer than there is on Moderna. Um, so these things um, were shown by Patel et al., which is a gentleman from Pfizer who published on this, uh, and they didn't have anything on the back end of their peaks. They had some of the truncated stuff in the front end, uh, which was which was different. Um, now this is a, I think this is in respect to their monovalent vaccines, not their bivalent. So uh, there's a slightly different instrument being used as well. So you know there, there could be some differences there. They're using CE, we're using a tape station, but um, uh, nevertheless we, we pushed these ahead into sequencing. Now the first time we sequenced these, we, we used the 
technique to sequence the RNA because we weren't thinking there would be DNA in there. We're like, okay, give us an RNA-seq kit. And those RNA-seq kits have reagents in them that preferentially capture RNA and sequence RNA for you. And even despite the fact that we used an RNA-seq kit, we were kind of shocked to find a bunch of DNA coming through the sequencing. And some might ask, how do you know the difference between RNA and DNA when you're sequencing it? Um, uh, it's a good question. Uh, the Illumina platforms that we use only sequence DNA. So you have to convert all RNA into DNA in order to sequence it. So wouldn't that mean you couldn't discern one from the other? And the truth is, um, RNA has a particular feature of it, particularly if it is a transcript that's being made off of, a, off of an infectious clone, like JJ was bringing up, is that it all tends to be on the Crick strand. So in DNA, we have Crick strands and Watson strands. Uh, there's, it's a double-stranded molecule, and they named the Crick strand after Francis Crick being the sense strand, the one that makes a message that makes sense. The antisense they named after Watson because he's a little crazy. Uh, so <laughs> he ended up getting named antisense. Um, I don't really know if that's the reason why, but uh, that's the way I like to believe it. Um, so anyway, when you make these libraries and you sequence them, um, I'm going to skip over some of this detail here because I want to be cautious of everyone's time. Um, uh, these are some of the vectors that came out. Uh, we're we're going to comb over these in a bit. I just want to get down to uh, one detail here is how we know when we're dealing with DNA or RNA. It's, it's, it's evident in, um, uh, in this particular graph here. So when you're sequencing DNA, you should have an equal number of Watson and Crick strands, right? It's double-stranded. You should have as many of the top strands as you have at the bottom strand. And what this graph here is, is taking the million-fold coverage of reads we have and subtracting the Watson strand, the, the Crick strands from the, from, from the Watson strands. You should get something that's on zero when it's DNA. The moment you get into RNA, things start getting a little crazy. They start going predominantly toward the Crick strand, which is what you're seeing here right at that 2201. Uh, that's the T7 promoter in, in the vector that actually makes, they, where they start making the, the, um, the transcripts, the mRNA for the vaccines, and suddenly you get a huge spike in everything going in the direction of the Crick strand. Now, you are also seeing areas throughout this mRNA where it's going negative. And I think those are areas that are actually double-stranded RNA, which is a problem for, for vaccines. They don't like having double-stranded RNA around because that triggers all types of uh, immune responses, uh, much more so than single-stranded RNA. So they have a measurement at the EMA for how much double-stranded DNA do you have, how much double-stranded uh, RNA do you have, and how much actual target RNA do you have. And all those things are supposed to be getting measured. Um, I think what you're fine from the work percent is that no one's, no one's really looking at this. Uh, it's, they have numbers on there, but if you QC the vials, they're clearly... Which is absolutely mind-blowing. <laughs> what, a... what a shit show, dude. That they're not... Yeah. They're not doing these measures that, you know, literally we've had to rely on Kev to pull this data out. It, it's, a, it's horrifying. And it actually reminds me of, there's a, there's a paper before the Uncanny paper, the one with HIV inserts, mm -hmm. that was written by Pradhan and, and most of the same scientists. It came out on January 10th of 2020. So literally the day before the sequence was released here in the West. And what that paper was, it was talking about um, the G quadruplexes, which you could probably probably know more, more about than I do, but basically... Um, <laughs> Not just that they're tangles of RNA that form, I guess, in schematic from right. cuboid-type yeah. structures. Right. So. Exactly. So, so like tangles, and these tangles, uh, you know, cause a lot of problems because they're. I mean, they might can't they, process they actually, them for the ribosome. Right, and, so, and they may be feeding. They may be causing a lot of things that we've attributed to other, other things, and then what did they do? They went and made a vaccine that that has a bunch of these, because mm. um, apparently, and I, I think it was Stephanie Seneff. Who, who like later on, who who wrote a paper that was dealing with this process and and how the how this is exacerbated, like the products of the mRNA that they're doing, like like there's even more of this. So basically, through all these different means, including what he's talking about, you're looking at just nasty ways to you know miss all proteins or just do all sorts of crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. So yeah, absolutely right. All right. Um carry on in violation of those of those numbers 
Okay, so this is how we know we have DNA. The other way that we know we have DNA, or here, here's the EMA's uh, guidance on this, they want 330 nanograms of DNA per milligram of RNA, no more than that. Uh, and when we go about calculating this, uh, we think there's several orders of magnitude about this. Uh, and there's a couple ways that we wanna go about calculating this. Now, th this particular test that we did, we weren't looking for DNA, we accidentally found it. And so it wasn't the best test to, to, to quantitate how much of it is there next to RNA because we used a process that biased the whole thing to sequence RNA. So we have to do different experiments to figure that out, uh, which we have done. And um, I'm gonna go and switch to that because I think that's actually gonna be uh, a bit more meaningful than this. Uh, what we did to sort that out uh, is uh, we use some quantitative uh, PCR tools that can measure DNA versus RNA. So everyone's familiar with UPCR now. It's been used in the pandemic uh, to, to uh, you know, much affair, but uh, there is RT-PCR, which um, will amplify RNA and DNA. Sorry, I'm having a hard time finding my, uh, my own stack here. You go to this dashboard, that'll probably help. Um, so here's where we try and gauge the percent of this. Um, so first and foremost, when we, um, when we finally get the sequence back, and we end up um, assembling it, the first thing that we noticed is that there is all types of things in here that are not the spike protein, all right? Uh, there we go, sorry, I lost you there on my screen. Um, so this is the vector that actually comes out. A vector is a, is a plasmid. This is what's in the background of these vaccines. And I'm gonna touch on how we quantitate how much, of it, how much is there just a little bit later. Let me just first tell you what's there so you have a reason to, to, to kind of pay attention to this. All right, so a vector is a plasmid that you grow in E. coli. And E. coli replicates every 20 minutes and makes about 300 copies of this per cell. Um, the really large vectors like this, it probably makes 50 copies per cell. The, the, the amount it can make per cell is dependent on how big of a, of a sequence you put in it. But uh, what you have down here is a bacterial origin of replication in yellow. That tells bacteria, copy this thing and make circles of this. Uh, now they have a T7 promoter here that's needed uh, for a later step in manufacturing. That, that makes RNA of the spike protein, okay? Um, the SED, uh, FCF sites right here, the spike protein. Uh, there's another few details in this plasmid. Uh, now, the reason they make these plasmids is they need tons of DNA to feed the RNA transcription reaction that makes the vaccine. So they got tired of chemically synthesizing that RNA is expensive, so they put in a plasmid that the bacteria can Xerox for them, and they grow the bacteria overnight in huge fermenters, and then they can get kilograms of this plasmid DNA. The trick is you have to then isolate that plasmid out of the E. coli so there isn't any endotoxin behind, because endotoxin, if you inject it with people, causes anaphylaxis. Okay? It's a toxic shock syndrome. What? So that's Not boluses? Well, we don't know how what? How dare he? <laughs> the other thing that um, comes along with this type of process is you have to put in the antibiotic resistance gene so that when you put these plasmids in E. coli, you can sort out which ones absorb them. It's called transformation. You, you, when you take this DNA and, and heat shock it into E. coli, maybe 1% of the E. coli actually absorbs a plasmid and 99% of them don't. So how do you grow the one that actually matters that has your plasmid? Well, you, you make sure that it has an antibiotic resistance gene so that uh, when you apply antibiotics, the only cells that grow are the ones that contain your spike protein, uh, at least your, your spike sequence. So this is a, a form of, uh, of using uh, antibiotic selection so that you can uh, you can target the gene of interest that you want to that, that you want to get expressed. Uh, so um, needless to say, inside of these vaccines, our estimates there's around 10% to 30% of the nucleic acids that are in the vaccines contain this DNA. Now we don't yet know how contiguous it is. We're still trying to sort that out. It could be broken up a little bit. It could be linear. We do. We have seen some cases where it's fully circular and, it's, and it's, uh, we can heat shock this into a coli and prove that it's trans transformation competent. But we haven't got a good count on what percentage of the DNA that is in the background is 100% circles or linear and broken up. Uh, we're, we're working towards sorting that out. A few other things people have taken note of in here. There's an SV40 promoter in here. Um, this is uh, a, a promoter that actually drives uh, the expression of this kenamycin gene, and this promoter can work inside the million cells. Uh, so people are worried about this integrating into the human genome because if you drop SV40 promoters in front of oncogenes, there can be a lot of problems. Uh, the other detail that we noted in the sequencing of these is that in one of the Pfizer vials, there's actually two different vectors. In and there's, there's another causal agent for the cancers that we're seeing. That yeah. they've, had, they've had systemic take-up of this SV40 promoter sequence. That's right. And I don't, I don't know how the, how the public would, well, I, I expect not much at the moment, but. Um. Well, once they realize, that, so <laughs> this gets back to the whole reason for like, their whole interest in HIV. 
like I said, do you think they really spent a hundred billion dollars in two decades, in just two decades, so not the entire time, on research for HIV and the and the Department of Energy databases and all this other shit? You really think they did that to learn the epitopes so they could make vaccines for it, which they still haven't been able to do? No, they did it because they wanted to understand the reverse transcriptase. They wanted to understand how to put things into the genome and how to damage people with it and this is exa- this is exactly this is exactly like why is this why is sv40 in the shit at all i mean i i would i don't know if i could quickly just uh toxicity uh Viral promoters can initiate expression of toxin genes. Okay. Sounds interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. Mm, yeah, man. We've 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 just stepped into a whole new world of pain with Kev's day. <laughs> if this if this has if this has had widespread take up. Oh, and you know, Mark is right yeah. to sort of point at um, stem cell um, rich regions, but oh. yeah. But this is sick. This is this is the weapon piece. Yeah, and this is and this is the part. This is just one more example of they knew they knew all about this shit. To pretend yeah. they didn't is ridiculous. And. That SV40, that's a known, that's a known problem. And there it is right in the. (laughs) Yep. Wow. Yep. But don't worry, it's just an infectious clone. So as soon as they they stop seeding it, we're fine. Right. Right. And in the other vial, there's only one. Oh, just to to, to think of it. (laughs) Just traveling to ovaries and testes in young kids. Oh, yep. man, oh, man. Yep. We, we yep. could be looking at a, a catastrophe here. Yeah, and, and what scares you more, an infectious clone or the fact that this is aerosolized? Can, can, I, can I have all of the above? <laughs> right. I mean, the bottom line is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> This is bad anyway. You slice it, mm. but um, but it's it's, and this is where it's it's tough to know, like how much they were expecting for shedding or or exosomes or like how much did they anticipate that that would play into being able to seed things that for those who weren't vaccinated. I don't know. I really well, don't. I mean, I have to I have to go with that. There's they understood that risk, right? Because it's even in the um. The document, the consent documents, right? Don't don't engage in sexual relations, etc. Whilst um, in in the study, so uh, I I I would very much put the onus on that they yeah they they knew in this particular instance, and you know you've gone and you've gone and jabbed. Billions of people. That's right. Plasmid. 
<laughs> in a lipid nanoparticle. Holy shit. Yeah. So the lipid nanoparticle is antigenic. The spike is antigenic. Um, the spike could the spike can actually cross the blood brain barrier without the lipid nanoparticle, especially in a high in a hypoxic state. So if they're actually sick, then it's it's already permeable. So mm-hmm. the fact that they also put in a lipid nanoparticle meant that they wanted this to go everywhere, mm-hmm. everywhere. And you know, you've got the other issue of the antibiotic resistance genes as well in there. Gosh, there's so much. Sick. But you know what? You know, I just now thought of this. What if they did that because they wanted to? To push a bunch of the generics out of the way. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, you can't really, you can't really say that anything's off the table at this point. No. But, I mean, it, either that or you know, pushing them towards expensive antivirals and then letting them die anyway. I mean, whatever it is, it's not good. Mm. Oh Jesus! This is, like I say, that this left half of the plasmid. If if. If you were to go round, I, I, I don't know. Could you could you imagine being in the in the threat assessment meeting where they're like, "Wow, we could uh, <laughs> we could get this into the arms of population, wipe them out that way." Um, uh, well, that's not that's not really a threat assessment. Because, right, right, just a threat. Because right. my, my my job was to uh, was to mitigate threats, not create them. Mm. But I don't even know that in my worst wild streams, I would have I would have thought that that they could have done this. Mm. But but the scary thing is, is that is that because I've read so much, I know for a fact they knew that these processes were in here. Mm. So, I mean, it, this is so much worse than I would have expected. Yeah. Like everything about this virus is, is just, this is, this is some levels beyond like the worst bioweapon I could think of. Mm. Well, Unless and... it was literally killing everybody. This one kills everybody slowly. You and just you take the things. the spike aspect of it, which it, you know we spent the last three years discussing the ins and outs to <laughs> Asperger like levels. But again, I just come back to this other half of the the plasmid here and. Wow. What do you mean by the other? I don't know which half is the other. So then, so you basically you see the red circle, which is spike okay, yeah. pe- um, genetic material in the plasmid, and then there's all the um, antibiotic, the SV40, um, yep. all, all, all this, and you, you know that wasn't on the radar. You know it, the SV40 issue was a, a a distant thing from the past, where they had issues around polio being. Um, polio vaccines being manufactured from monkey monkey cells right that's that's where sv40 was originally isolated and god that but that's not that's not what they did this time though so how the fuck so it had be that's not contamination like if they're finding this all over the place that's not contamination no this is deliberate this is deliberate in there because it it helps with pickup of translation that's why the promoter is oh, in there Jesus. right so. yeah yeah that's an understatement it helps <laughs> that's an understatement wow uh, 
Yeah, well, fucking sick. And like I say, I I would, you know, just just going off sort of first principles, the the DNA plasmid once past the cell membrane. I would I would just make the presumption would would go through the translocation process into nucleus, and so become. That's, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And especially if when you have the nuclear tra- translocation signals, mm. as Jessica Rose and other people have found out. I mean, um, I am interested to hear what they say about it because that's that's spread it through alleys. What they've been talking about as a risk. Mm. Yeah. What a what a shit show. Yeah. They're from the same plot, so that was very bizarre. And uh, the known the, the difference between the two vectors was that there's a 72 base pair insertion of a repeat in the SP40 promoter that has been published to supercharge it and to make it go into the nucleus. Uh, so we don't know why that's in there, and uh, I don't know if it spontaneously emerged, but there's a lot of papers of people publishing on making this kind of turbocharged SP40 uh, by having that that 72 base pair change. So, holy shit! <laughs> uh, I wonder if Kev would speak with me publicly. I mean, I. Uh chat to him in the background but might be a bit too edgy for for him to come on stream um, out of the gate, I think there's a couple concerns here. One, the DNA levels that are in here are several orders of magnitude above what the EMA has, has called for. I don't know if they're going to care. Frankly, the RNA, the, the RIN numbers of the RNA fragmentation were set at 80%, and when Pfizer missed those, they just moved them down to 50%, and, and they just changed, they changed the goalposts. So I, I honestly, uh, I, I don't know to what extent they, they're, uh, they'll do that again. Um, I think in terms of risk to patients, I think that the number one concern I've, I've had over this is this could be confounding all the studies on longevity. We have a lot of studies looking at spike mRNA in the blood that show it in breast milk, that show it in plasma, and they're getting sequenced. And it could be this background, this background DNA, which is actually sticking around longer than the mRNA. Uh, and that could be mm. triggering those, those tests to amplify and sequence what's in fact spike protein from the plasma, not from the mRNA. Yeah, that's, that's just another fact that we have Very to put much, on yeah. um, the pseudo-uridinated mRNA plus this. Wow. Mm. God, I, I, I actually wish it was just that. <laughs> just a super, right, right. Like instead of this, Jesus, because this is this is worse. Mm. You know, at this yeah. point in time, it feels worse. It's orders of magnitude worse. RNA. Uh, so they can be following up those studies. Uh, the other studies we've had are studies looking at reverse transcriptase of line one uh, as a risk for integration of the genome. Well, you don't need line one to reverse transcribe the, the vaccine messenger RNA if you're giving in if you're if you're injecting in billions of these pieces of DNA, uh, billions to trillions probably. Uh, you're, you, you can skip that step, and you now already have enough DNA in here that you need to worry about integrating. And um, uh, so this is I think this is a, this is this opens up the door for more concerns over, over integration, particularly since we know there's an SV40 mutation in there that can drive this into the nucleus. And now that we have DNA there, uh, there's a higher risk that there may in fact be some uh, integration going on. We don't have evidence of that, uh, and I want to uh, pause and, and let everyone hear this. And clearly this is not through peer review and frankly peer review we've all seen some problems with lately i, th- I think the key in this environment when peer review is as politicized as it is and taking as long as it is the key is to develop hypotheses that can be quickly tested by another laboratory for like yes this is what i was saying yesterday um absolutely you, you've got a th- this whole the public waiting on the peer review process right now is um it's death sentence um yep. you've got to be able to um Build up working hypotheses and um, test it in a, a a lab environment. And the problem is right now that institutes are not motivated to go down that direction. In fact, quite the the opposite right now. Well, remember that there's another problem too, which is um, when you when you fritter away time with hypotheses that can't be tested. You know, like trying to prove something that can't be proven with the assertions about infectious clones, that is wasting time, which once again, mm. it's, 
is it better because it's our own obstacles that we're putting in our way? I don't know, but it's something we shouldn't have to deal with. It's self-inflicted wounds. Yeah, and you know, this SV40 data should just be front and center in front of people's faces right now and it being, well, the hypothesis being tested to destruction uh, in as many independent laboratories as possible. Exactly. Under a hundred bucks, and and the market will be reviewed is faster than than three anonymous reviewers. So what we did toward that end is we developed PCR primers and probes uh, that target the spike protein and one that targets the origin. We started targeting the canamycin gene, but it turns out the canamycin gene is different between Moderna and Pfizer, and that was a bad idea. So we moved it over to the origin. So we have a, a multiplex qPCR test that can monitor the spike protein, DNA, and RNA with rtPCR, and likewise the origin of replication, which is only going to be DNA. And if you use a combination of quantitative PCR and RT-PCR, quantitative PCR only amplifies DNA. Uh, RT-PCR amplifies both. Uh, th those tools alone can tell you how much RNA versus DNA you have. Uh, and that's what one of our other sub-stacks goes over, is we went and monitored that and also checked it using DNases and RNases, which are enzymes that destroy DNA and RNA, respectively. And it all lines up to be about uh, these things are probably 10 to 30% uh, DNA. Uh, and we just don't know how intact it is, but it's definitely there in high quantities uh, and, and, and could be a problem for immune responses or just you know muddying the water for, um, for people figuring out how long is this stuff sticking around. Now, um, some questions. People ask, well, well, if this gets into bacteria in your gut, what happens? Because there's an origin of replication in here. And while the EMA has specifications for keeping the number of nanograms, uh, 330 uh, nanograms per milligram down, they probably weren't thinking about replication competent DNA, DNA that can replicate on its own once it gets near a bacteria. They're probably thinking about like background E. coli DNA that, that is non-replication competent. So, so the fact that this DNA actually has the potential to amplify when it finds the right host, uh, they probably want a more stringent regulation on this. But um, this, when it gets into bacteria, will replicate uh, to many copies, but it's probably not going to express the spike protein. Uh, this T7 promoter needs to have a T7 phage present. So if a bacteria is infected by phage, maybe, but it's, it's unlikely those phage and probably wouldn't do this. So it, it, you know, it might make the, if it were to make the RNA, it probably wouldn't make the protein because it doesn't have, uh, it has a COSAC consensus sequence down here, which is for mammalians to translate, the ribosomes to translate it, but not bacteria. Some other people have brought to my oh, attention that God. there's such a thing as bactoaffection, where mammalian cells eat the bacteria and then all the DNA that's in there goes into the mammalian cells. And then, okay, maybe if that happens, it could start making some, some spike protein. Um, likewise, if this goes into a mammalian cell with transfection, um, there, it's not going to last very long, all right? There's, there's not necessarily a mammalian signal in here to make it copy itself over and over again, but if it integrates into the genome, you've got a problem, and then, then it can stick around. So um, the, the point um, that I think is worth mentioning in all this is that the LMPs do not need to be intact for this to happen for bacteria. Uh, these things can be in the, these can be in the LP, LMPs are outside of the LMPs. All you need is a little bit of temperature uh, above 37 degrees C, which is the temperature of your gut, and you'll transform E. coli with these things and make them antibiotic resistance. They do need, you probably do need a little selection going on. The patient would probably need to be on kenamycin or neomycin for that to actually happen, or gentamycin. And those aren't, those aren't frequently used antibiotics. They're kind of our last defense antibiotics from what some physicians told me. They're usually IV uh, driven. Um, but nevertheless, we are in a position here where the vaccines are arguably putting in billions to trillions of these plasmids. We don't know how intact they are, but if any of them are intact and they're in billions of people now, uh, we could be seeing an antibiotic resistance problem uh, that could have been avoided by having just simply better QC on these. Uh, they, this should have been something yeah, that correct. you can readily, readily um, address. So as for getting some good peer review on this, what I encourage other people to do is read these substacks, send us any questions if you have any questions on how to reproduce it, but you should be able to reproduce this with either a fluorometer, like a qubit, which is a $5,000 tool, an agile tape station, which is a, you know, it's probably a $20,000 tool, but they're ubiquitous, or a QPCR device, which is a $20,000 tool, and they're all over the place now after COVID. But the actual reagents to, to, to figure out whether we've got this right or wrong, we're probably talking under 1000 maybe even under $100. And if the community can reproduce it, uh, that's far better than three anonymous people you know, reading this in peer review six, six months to a year later. Uh, it'd be good to have some kind of a yep. reassurance on this as to whether, you know, falsify or verify it yeah, yeah he's he's making a lot of sense um yep i suppose i have to go and do it now so on the bright side um basically what he's saying is that if you're lucky enough that you know half your vial is crap the other half of the vial is very likely to cause Antibiotic resistance. At minimum, uh, the 
the thing about these plasmids, <clears throat> my understanding is, is that again they're robust and are yep. meant to be are meant to be environmentally robust enough such that a free plasmid under the right conditions, as Kev was saying, under the right conditions, can be taken up by other uh, bacteria and used as as a means to. Uh, help them yeah, adapt to a particular environment. But... I dare say, I dare say that like, putting it directly into our gut. Well, not directly, I guess. Um, but I mean, Jesus, man, this is just so fucking dumb. Mm. Well, as I say, my my bigger concern is the SV40 motor in there. Because um, the well, thing is, it, I mean, yeah, it, it depends where it gets integrated as well. So I don't I don't know how much of a random process that would be. But again, it just it just has to be pushed in front of the right oncotype genes, and boom, there's there's a there's a reason why you could be seeing turbo cancers. Nothing to do with spike. Everything to do with the SV40 promoter. Well, and. <clears throat> God, man, it's just, it's, uh, yeah, it's I'm just horrible. Thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking about my, you know, my wife still, still wants to have another kid. Mm. I'm just sitting here thinking, like, what, what have they done? Mm. Something tells me somebody knows. Yeah. Somebody knows very well what this is likely to do. with uh, other laboratories trying to uh, replicate the work, uh, and then we can make some decisions, better process some regulators, like, what do we do about this information? If it's truly the case that vial to vial, the vectors are different and the DNA contamination is really high, um, that's a violation of, uh, of the actual labeling of these things and the informed consent, and that they'll need to make some hard decisions at that point. Um, I think that's all I have, John. I, I didn't want to uh, bore you going through five other stuff stacks because uh, they're quite long and, uh, and technical. Um, I had a question like five minutes ago. I can't remember it. <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, no, no. Oh, yeah, no, I got it. I got it. I got it. Um, somebody put a question in Twitter the other day. For the amount of DNA that you're finding, you mentioned QC. It, it would it would seem that there is no QC at all. It would seem that they just didn't bother to strip away the, the leftover yes. DNA after the manufacturing process. Yeah, and, and that's a big problem because if they're not doing that, I have no reason to believe they're they're endotoxin levels. Um, and it, whenever you see plasma contamination like this, the first thing you should think about is endotoxins because they came out of a bacteria that makes LPS and lipopolysaccharides uh, via injection are going to create toxic shock syndrome and all types of anaphylaxis. Um, so I, I also don't believe they're double stranded RNA. Not boluses. How oh dear. Not boluses, but the LPS. Uh, I mean, so <laughs> so basically, the the SEB motif is just a tiny, like it's the tiny most toxic part of mm -hmm. the SEB, but it's not the full LPS construct. But here, what what they're, what they're saying is is that you know they could be they could be adding a they could be making it even easier for this to be picked up by the native bacteria that are inside of you, potentially. Mm. Take it to even more places where it might not otherwise go and cause even more antigenic problems because of the antigens that are on the spike. Um, as well, well as just being... The I mean, only, there's just so many terrible things. The only silver lining I can see here is that I would posit that crossover 
I mean, you'd have to presume lymph into the gut space would potentially limit the plasmic crossover into where the majority of your bacteria are, potentially, although... Potentially, but, but you also have to think about the fact that um, if there's bacteria in your lungs and or... So one of the reasons why my whole aerosol argument is based upon this idea that in addition to making it to where it was attractive to, to things that are inside your lungs, um, it, it immediately, because of the superantigen, this is the furin cleavage occurs, then it exposes the superantigen, which attracts a whole bunch more attention from different um, aspects of your immune system. So it's, it's calling all the stuff to get to go towards your, your lung tissue to, to deal with it. And so it's making it to where it takes a lot less in terms of number of doses to actually infect because if you can just get that process started, it takes m many fewer virions to actually create the problem and then or to actually create the infection, which is exactly what you'd want in an aerosol virus. And then, so Delta, the reason why Delta could kill so many people, like, it, you know, assisted in killing, you know, you know, my wife's best friend is, is because it's able to do that and see if it overwhelm even young and healthy immune systems. So, and all of that works together, especially well, if the virus can, can spread. So if it's just infectious clones, then she shouldn't, she shouldn't have been infected in the first place because she, she got a secondary infection from her husband. Right. So, and but what hey, she that's, had, that's you thinking again. So yes, I, I know, uh, I know, I know, I know. I'm sure. I'm sure her husband was was just part of the like the actual initial thing. So she was just right up next to it. Or, or there's actually evolutionary dynamics that have made this worse. Mm. So once again, this is just all. If we pretend that it can't spread, then we have to come up with new explanations for why these things are terrible. Mm -hmm. And and it's just a waste of time. So anyway, I digress. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, you know, that's probably a good moment to pull the ripcord. My my kids are back, yeah. so <laughs> daddy's in the way. Yeah, well, it's 1 a.m. Um, but, but yeah, I think this was a really productive video to go through mm -hmm. because we actually got to address the science and not just. Yeah. That's a, that's a bunch of interesting. Like I say, um, I, I'm not going to disagree with Stephanie's, um, work. Um, I'm happy someone is bringing that up. Um, I, I would, my only criticism would be the lack of subject matter expertise in that domain. Um, the, like I say, Jay's stuff, like I say, we've just gone through the limits of that type of analogy and hypothesis. I don't think we need to go through it again. Gerardo, again, um, it's limited binary approaches, and Kev's work, I think, is, um, it's goddamn frightening, bro. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah, it is. Holy shit. 
Well, um, with that, on that, on that cheery thought, I'll, uh, I'll hang up on this and, and wrap this up. I'll, I will no doubt speak to you. Yep. Uh, soon. Always um, a pleasure. Yeah. You, uh, you take care. Look after. Oh, did the. Um, I've done his last name. Uh, the senator yesterday in that space. Did, did he follow up and get in touch with you? Um, I think I don't think so yet, but I have been hearing from from other people. So, okay. um, so things are moving. All right. Well, yeah. Just keep rattling cages, bro. All right. Uh, you have a good evening, Charles, and I will speak to you soon, sir. Too. Mm. All right, folks, there we go. Um, D, one and only Charles Rixey. He is a force of nature. Um, all right, I am going to call it quits. Yes, the kids are home. I've got uh, shit that uh, the doc needs to do. I want to just say thank you to Matt for uh, the dono. Let me just see if there was any more. And... No, the rest of you, you are all due and you don't deserve Chemical Alley. No, but you're going to get him anyway. Take it away. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I wanted to move that. I wanted to move me text stupid thing now now i've ruined me chemical alley god damn it all right folks thank you for tuning in listening in uh please spread the word be on uh rumble of course all the other channels as well where you can uh, find this cutting edge analysis and goddamn stream deck has changed all the fonts so i don't recognize anything ah all right i'm out of here take care god bless see you in the next one Bro, you don't know how angry I am. You do, I'm like, I was just leaving for fucking work. You do not understand how fucking pissed off. After reading that little line, I will be arrested for not taking a fucking vaccine. Fuck these cappers! I will fucking kill each fucking capper. I swear <laughs> This is not a fucking joke anymore. This is fucking dead serious. I am fucking dead serious. These people don't know who the fuck they actually saying. Fuck these cappers. No fucking vaccine or MRA or ever flow through my fucking blood blood. Never. No. I will fucking die. Fucking fighting for my fucking bees and my fucking forefathers and my fucking lily. Fuck these motherfuckers! All them five? I like this guy. Send 10.45,000 to turn dead. Let up! 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 Let up